pretty much hardcore libertarian like trying to relocate to the states. I do have a story um, about truck drivers being fucked by electric car mandate shit in California. Oh, really? That's funny. Well, you'll definitely have stuff to say about that one then. It's Free Talk Live, talk radio that you control. And 603-283-6160 is the phone number you can call. That's 603-283-6160. And with you in the studio tonight, you've got me, Bonnie. Jay. And Mark. Okay, good. We're all coming through clearly, (laughs) I believe. Well, today there looks to be some breaking news about the Jeffrey Epstein case. And for listeners who don't know, Jeffrey Epstein is a man who has been convicted or was waiting for his trial with the feds for a sex trafficking case. And then he allegedly killed himself in jail. But there's a lot of questions about it. Oh, all the cameras turned themselves off at the exact right time. Stuff like that. People believe he's a pedophile um, sex trafficking ring leader. But this is a call and talk radio show. You can call in at 603-283-6160. And we have Alu from New Hampshire on the line. Alu, what's on your mind? Hi. What's on my mind is that I miss Bonnie and Jay and Mark. So, hello, guys. Oh, hello. Hey, man. Hey, hello. I was just thinking you haven't called in a while. It's been a while. Yeah, I mean to call every other night to argue with you guys about stuff I heard, but I never got a chance because hmm. my amazing son and everything else was keeping me busy. So, um, I had an epiphany that I want feedback from you people on, but... Before that, um, just a heads up, it seems like there's a few seconds of a hot mic before that you came on the show, yeah. on the podcast, and on the radio. Thanks so for that. So just a heads up, don't say anything too crazy. I, I realized it um, right afterwards. It's because I had, I had the server muted, so I couldn't hear the bumper music, but it is what it is. Okay, awesome. Yeah, Thank call you. the wizards at Ian, and Ian will set you straight. <laughs> so um, bef- before I even get to my epiphany, um, about the Epstein thing that you mentioned in the intro, Dan Bongino is, is doing a decent job reporting of this, and he mentions that the story could be that they're, you know, they probably have a massive, disgusting, disturbing pedophile ring where a lot of the most powerful elites in the world, including like kings and princes and governors, have been. Um, but even more important than that and related is that blackmail is important because if any kind of nefarious have blackmail on these people saying, we'll release the videotape these very young girls on the island. You better do our bidding. That means that a lot of our leaders are compromised. So if, if you know, Biden and others are compromised, that's a big national security issue because, you know, so that's blackmail. So that's, in a sense, the biggest part of the story in addition to how disturbing the actual crimes are. Yeah, I I totally um I I guess I wouldn't say believe, but I could totally see that being the case um that they run this specific pedophile ring for the purposes of getting politicians and royalty yep. in England in compromising positions and then they can tell them, "Oh, you have to do our bidding." Go ahead, Mark. Yeah, um so I think that using the term pedophile kind of draws up the wrong thing here. Um not to say that I find this acceptable, but that pedophile generally means a very young person, whereas I think, just as a guess, if Epstein wasn't a um, 
intelligence agent from either a domestic or a foreign um, intelligence agency, a huge opportunity was missed. And I tend to think that these very intelligent people at these intelligence agencies don't miss a lot of opportunities. But a great opportunity was missed because I think, this is just me guessing here, that politicians could be relatively easily enticed after three or four drinks to, oh, I don't know, slip into the back with a with a gal that is near her 18th birthday. And that that would be, you know, would, would catch a lot of people in a trap. I mean, that's a very believable trap. I could see, were I uh, the sort that would uh, cheat on my, um, you know, significant other or whatever the situation might be, that, um, you know, I could be tricked into that situation. I don't drink and I don't do those things. But um, nonetheless, especially nowadays where all those girls that are 17 and a half look 30. They they all, but Bonnie, when you get to be my age, they all look 17. Oh, okay. <laughs> 25 to, you know, from 12 to 25, they all look 17. When, when you become a father and mm. you have a daughter, they all look 14 <laughs> uh, and 12. Yep. Uh, mm. I guess really. that makes sense. I don't know what it is. I think it's just because I'm Yeah, like- Mark, I, I think I agree with what you're saying, and there's that. But then, additionally, I do believe that these elites who have gotten used to and no longer find novel pleasure with you know, 18-year-olds or any other kind of novelty, they they might be, you know, sick enough to move on to way younger. And there, there's, you know, all sorts of evidence, including from Bongino's Secret Service sources, that there are way younger people and, and, See, that's and, the, and kids. And that's the thing about it, Alu. I think that it would just be so silly for this to be such a big deal if, if it was, like, 16-year-olds. Oh, my gosh. Like, I, I just think it's so silly. Like, oh, she was coerced because she agreed to be an internationally famous model and have her apartment paid, like, luxury apartment paid for by Epstein. Wouldn't, wouldn't most girls who dated a guy who had a good job be, like, victims of abuse yeah, if that were exactly. the case? I think that, there's, honestly... There's a huge difference between the two. Yeah, I think that there's things we or don't know. Who like, goes back to the island 17 times and five years later regrets what she did because she was somewhat coerced because she wanted a good role in Hollywood and she slept with you know a bunch of producers and mm-hmm. 50 years later said maybe that was coercion and maybe it was, but it's not the same as underage rape. Right. You know, if she's 18 and she was willing... Whereas if someone, if these people are abusing five-year-olds, that's a different universe. Exactly. So they shouldn't even be compared in the same universe right. of like murder compared to like smoking pot. So it's totally yeah. different universes. And again, a lot of things get conflated. So anyway, um, totally different topic. But um, my epiphany I just had like two minutes ago is the way to, to abolish qualified immunity. The, the biggest defense to, to our bills that failed a few years ago by like one or two votes in the New Hampshire House to abolish qualified immunity which is a, a Supreme Court-created doctrine decades ago that makes it essentially yep. impossible to sue government agents, including cops, if you want to sue them for violation of rights under and, Section 98. And um, social workers. Yep. So it makes it impossible unless you can prove that, essentially, that courts have ruled that it's a violation of the civil rights or unconstitutional, what they did in previous cases in the exact same set of circumstances in the same jurisdiction. Um, now, when states like try to abolish it, like New Hampshire, what they say is, well, police have to make split-second decisions, and we can't have them thinking about wrecking their brains about every court case ever and the laws and all that stuff, and they have to defend themselves. Um, so what we could do is defeat that by saying, putting in a bill saying that exempt from this, like they will get qualified immunity, meaning the courthouse doors are closed and you can't even enter to see them if it's a split-second decision. But even better is this, because qualified immunity, what it does is 
it's not affirmative defense, like saying self-defense is an affirmative defense to homicide charges because, you know, you were defending yourself. This is not an affirmative defense. This locks the courthouse doors. If you try to sue before anything, before discovery, before anything, the judge kicks you out of the courtroom and says you can't even entertain the idea of a lawsuit because of qualified immunity. So mm-hmm. what I think they should do is, is put into the, the law saying, in, instructing the jury or making it an affirmative defense in the actual trial, so you actually have to have a trial, saying that, and tell the jury, and jury instructions, tell the judge, if you find that this was a second decision, then acquit him, you know, or, or then rule in favor of the cop. But if it was the kind of thing where he planned to burn down your house for a week, burn down your house, abused you, shot you, and then stole a million dollars from you a week later, that's not a second decision, is it? And therefore, he should be liable. So if we put that into the law saying it's, it's an affirmative defense, but you have to actually have a trial instead of closing the courthouse doors with qualified immunity, is that a way to defeat their arguments and pass a good bill? Oh, that's really that smart. Okay, go ahead. Mark. I think it's better than uh, than what we've got, Alou. I still am of the opinion that police are humans and humans ought to be responsible for their actions. And if they're not responsible for their actions, expect irresponsible behavior. And that that's mm-hmm. what we're getting from police. Um, I would go also a little a little further and just uh, go ahead and say that security guards currently are everything that cops are. Uniform, gun, taser, the whole thing. And for some reason, they can be responsible for their actions and cops can't just because the cops work for the government. And I don't really understand that. It sounds like really what the voters are asking for or the representatives are asking for here is that people not be able to sue the town or the city for the things that they are responsible for. Okay, you bring up an excellent point, and here's the other big argument. They say, we can't sue officers because they'll be bankrupt. They're worried about being bankrupt if they ever engage with any person. Therefore, they'll stay in their cop car, which I'm fine with, mm-hmm. um, and they'll yeah. never want to actually save lives um, because we'll see them. Guess what? There have been studies done, tons of studies. Over 99% of police officers in the United States, I believe, are indemnified, meaning their government town pays for all lawsuits. If you sue them, they don't pay a penny. The, the town government, meaning all the taxpayers pay for it. So no cop, technically like zero cops have ever been bankrupted or even had to pay lawsuits lawsuits and stuff. Um, it's extremely rare. There were two cops who did something horrific um, and abused a person, and they, they were forced to pay, but it was like $2,000. Um, oh. so, so probably didn't bankrupt them. They probably worked one overtime shift, and they were good to go. Um, so that's another <laughs> issue that they say, but again, that's a myth, because over 99% of departments totally uh, pick up the bill for police officers. But another big thing is that there's, there's a lot of conflation of qualified immunity that a lot of people, including some lawyers, have. They think it applies to criminal prosecution. Qualified immunity is only an, like an absolute defense for civil lawsuits when you sue a government agent for violating your civil rights uh, under the, the law passed, passed 100 years ago for a violation of rights. Um, criminal prosecution, if a cop comes into my house and murders me, the, re- the real issue is that they're not prosecuted because prosecutors are literally their co-workers. They work together. And, you know, yeah. there's no dispute. They work together. And what we need to do is one day in my dreams figure out a way to construct a law that, that makes some kind of mandatory prosecution that compels the prosecutor to bring charges because prosecutors have absolute discretion and absolute immunity, which is better than QI, it's absolute. Wow. Um, you can't even think of suing a prosecutor ever for anything. But but if we could find a way somehow to compel them to bring charges and, and, and really try to prosecute them as much as possible, that would be the real fix, to be so honest. Like, there actually is a way. Prosecuted. There, there is a way. Uh, take a mental note of this. It's called private attorney general. Mm-hmm. So what the private attorney general process is, well, I actually believe it falls under like racketeering and conspiracy. So this was where uh, basically the, the this 
uh, private attorney general law act, whatever. That's not exactly what it's called. But if you start Internet searching private attorney general and racketeering and conspiracy, this was basically passed uh, like in the 70s. So like private citizens could bring charges as a private attorney general against like mafia and organized crime units. And so this is pretty uh, easy to uh, apply directly to like government agents, like in particular with the case that my family has had with uh, New Hampshire DCYF, for example. Um, There is a uh, an attorney. His name is Ross McLeod, and uh, he uh, works for uh, New Hampshire DCYF. And one of the things that he does is he is constantly filing um, and submitting uh, like motions for contempt, for example, for these social workers. So the so- social workers, uh, Ross McLeod on like this document, this motion for contempt document that he brought against me and my wife, uh, he's, he submits it as the attorney. And then the uh, social worker, her name's Melissa Coombs, uh, uh, New Hampshire DCYF social worker. She swears under the pains and penalties of perjury that, you know, everything in the aforesaid, you know, document is true and accurate. And so the attorney submits this. Now this attorney is submitting these, uh, contempt orders based on what they call an RTE, which is a right to enter order that uh, family court rubber stamps. And you've got to understand about these family courts, they just rubber stamp everything because they have all these ex parte orders, which means like my mm-hmm. wife and I were never invited to these um, to these uh, court hearings. We didn't even know about it. They just do it all behind closed doors, ex parte. Mm-hmm. And the uh, family court judges um, just pretty much rubber stamp every single thing uh, that the attorneys and the social workers bring forth. Now, when it comes to contempt, you cannot put someone in contempt. This is like a maxim of law. You cannot put someone in contempt unless they've been ordered to do or to not do something. So, with the right to enter, or the um, basically the right to enter, or the assessment that DCYF wanted to do in my case, where they're like, "Hey, we want to in- interview your." two-year-old daughter alone who want to inspect your house mm-hmm. when it's coming it to your house. Um, ordered Melissa Coombs to go investigate you, not ordered you to allow that, right? Well, what the order says, a police officer, comma, a social worker, uh, or a um, child protection parole officer shall enter premises, uh, inspect, the ho- inspect premises, and interview two-year-old, blah, blah, blah. And so what they did is they filed a contempt order because I rejected DCYF's offer to contract with us. This is, no, I'm not contracting with you guys. I'm not doing that. I No, go away. Um, and I, I actually filed a multiple-page cease and desist order with them, a fee schedule, a, a bunch of things, to tell them you know, how serious I was. I did not want to deal with these guys. So anyways, they, um, they just automatically do these uh, uh, motion for a contempt order and they don't even have a contempt order. Nobody's actually in contempt because there wasn't an order for myself or my wife to allow them to in- enter my house or to, um, you know, you know, provide them, you know, let them interview my daughter alone. Uh, and this is just like fear tactics that they generally use against people who are, you know, poor and like, you know, lack information, ignorant, poor people. Because, you know, they have a scheme to harvest children because it's very, very profitable. It's lucrative. Um, under the Social Security Administration gives tremendous amounts of financial incentives for, um, you know, DCYF essentially to traffic children. I mean, trafficking is buying, selling, trading, getting paid to do something. So uh, that being said, 
uh, when it comes to like there's lawyers constantly doing this. So like one of the things I'm going to do is I'm going to be challenging qualified immunity because I want to bring claims against this Ross McLeod and this Melissa Coombs for violating my rights. And where does the private attorney general part come in? Yeah, as far as private prosecution, how do you go about actually uh, mechanically doing that? I don't. So I studied this like 20 years ago uh, and I haven't uh, uh, looked at it in a while. But what I can do, Alu, is I can actually dig into it a little bit and send you some links on it because I think this would be something that you, you would Excellent. be interested yeah, in digging that. into. But if you internet search, uh, the guy's name is actually Paul Mitchell, kind of like the um, hair you know, oh, yeah, dude. Oh, yeah, I was but, like, that sounds familiar. Um, but he was Paul Mitchell, private attorney general, and I used to study a lot of his work back in the day. Uh, and it, it was essentially you. Ju- there's a way you can file as a private attorney general to basically, in, in, you know, investigate racketeering. You would be considered uh, the private attorney general. Any private citizen can. Wow. And, and you well, the concept be- of private prosecution, I think, has existed in some other countries in the past, maybe where the person and, and biblically in Torah and Jews, by the way, I think. You know, if someone commits a crime, it's you, or if, if you were killed, it's your family members um, uh, pr- prosecuting on behalf of the victim. Yes. It's a whole different kind of ball game. Yep, I, I, and, and that sounds um, sort of uh, familiar as some of like the basis for you know this kind of stuff. And it was originally brought, you know, to sort of rein in organized crime because the idea was there was so much organized crime that like the Justice Department couldn't even deal with it. And the other problem with the Justice Department is there's so many people in the Justice Department that are that are uh, compromised, you know, by way of no. organized crime. Uh, that okay. you know they uh, that they, essentially there's you know no justice happening, so like but li- like this thing with um you know these lawyers continually um uh, like there's Ross McLeod continually filing these contempt orders when he darn well knows that he is in violation of the law and he is bringing contempt orders against people who are not named in an order. Because he did this to J.R. Hull a year or so before he did it to me. Hmm. And J.R. Hull, in his attorney... This is a representative in New Hampshire. Right. Yes. He wasn't a representative at the time, but he was a representative previous to this who basically you know, made it uh, his duty and his job to absolutely reduce the government, the state of New Hampshire, to very much reduce their, their budget, um, to, to, to cut them down. Um, as a state representative, so as soon as they, they got the take chance, him out personally, right? As soon as he got a chance, uh, the state of New Hampshire's goons got a chance to come against him. You know, these guys literally, because he give his children ivermectin like several months before they showed up, they got an executive an, an emergency order to remove his children. They literally showed up with you know the equivalent of a SWAT team and ambulances to take his kids into custody. Oh my God. And because somebody had tipped him off that this was happening, uh, he was able to get his kids out of Dodge. Um, and he is go- going to be, he's actually working on um, suing you know, the state and going after them. And he had no interest in running a, for a state representative again until they you know, violated him so bad that he's like, well, I have to run for state representative again. And is again. he one now? Yeah, he currently again? is a state hmm. rep, yeah. Nice. He actually just introduced a bill, a uh, house bill, uh, sixteen sixty two, and uh, it is one of my suggestions uh, to him uh, to uh, essentially bar uh, DCYF social workers from from being from uh, being um, uh, involved in adoption agencies, essentially, because because mm-hmm. one of the things with my case, what multiple people had told me, and now three former DC New Hampshire DCYF social workers said, 
one huge element with you, Jay, is the fact that you had healthy, good-looking, uh, unvaccinated children that are blonde and white. My I was going to say, you know example. what blonde hair, blue-eyed little kids would go for in Mexico or something? Well, just the above-board adoption marketplace, uh, you would have to to adopt a six-month-old, seven-month-old, healthy, blonde-haired, blue-eyed boy. Um, it's like 50 grand minimum, and there is a waiting list. Ten years, people. right? Yeah, but there's a massive lading. Like they are adoptable immediately. So the Child Protection Service Industrial Complex um, is basically run by a whole bunch of wokeified, you know, um, LGBT, you know, the, the mentally, you know, incapacitated, you know, um, you know, the, the, these people suffering from mental health issue called transgenderism, whatever kind of stuff uh, that uh, are, you know. Working in those jobs, you know, and what the, the DCYF, yeah, jobs? Just, you know, they're, yeah, on they're, they're antidepressants all from, or right, something. They're, they're, they're just mentally ill people that have been furtherly oh. made more mentally ill by attending all of these colleges oh. that are funded by Jeffrey Epstein's friends. You know, just walk around any college where they have, you know, the gender studies and the childhood stuff, and they're all funded by like, you know, Gates Foundation and Clinton Foundation and MacArthur Foundation and just, you know, all these, you know friends of jeffrey epstein essentially and um they are uh, of an agenda so they don't they're 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 like they're not breeders is like you know what a lot of these people will call themselves we're not breeders and i love using that against people so they're not having children and we know the left aren't having children we just tell by the statistics they're basically not having kids because you know um you know they're just not problematic yeah it's problematic and especially like, you know, when you have, you know, uh, gay or lesbian couples, you know, they kind of really can't have kids. What, what's and, problematic? Like the left thinks having kids is problematic? Yes. By the way, Olu, did you need to go or did you have anything else to say? I didn't want to like keep you on the whole segment. If yeah, you no worries. To. I'm, I'm going to go in a minute. But one more thing is okay. there's a way to easily um, stop the government from doing things, from punishing people without due process, which you got a, with a book on Person Guilty last year. And they punish people without their process by saying it's an emergency. We don't have time for a hearing to hear the other side. So let's just punish him now and sort it out later at a hearing in a few months. Guess what? There are things like video cameras and programs like Zoom and many others that you can use to video chat and get someone immediately. And they're already doing court cases like this. There are plenty of video hearings. They can do this. So you're saying they need to put in a bill for that or something? Mm-hmm. That's awesome. Uh, thank you so much for the call. Oh, a very interesting epiphany. And hopefully somebody takes up your bill ideas because they're really smart ideas. 603-283-6160. It's Free Talk Live. Jeffrey Epstein News coming up next. This hour of Free Talk Live is brought to you by Dash Digital Cash. Dash is the cryptocurrency designed to be used for spending. Tired of the ever-inflating U.S. dollar? You can live your life on Dash instead with some handy websites. BitRefill.com has been accepting Dash for years and has a ton of big-name retailers and brands including grocers, gas stations, phone refills, Amazon, and even prepaid MasterCards. Plus, many of their gift cards are available at a discount. But what about paying your bills? Spritz.finance can do that, and they can send dollars to your bank account in case you still need those for some reason. Dash is one of the oldest cryptocurrencies and is widely available on exchanges, including the decentralized Maya protocol and in multi-crypto wallets. It's easy to get and use Dash. Start by learning more at Dash.org. Thanks to the Dash DAO for sending us 32 Dash per month to promote Dash on the air. Visit Dash.org to learn about Dash. 
dash.org. Radio that you control 603-283-6160 is the phone number that's 603-283-6160 and I wanted to tell you about Dash Dash is sponsoring this hour of Free Talk Live Digital Cash Dash is the cryptocurrency designed to be used for spending Rising fees have made Bitcoin useless for purchases, but Dash continues to have fees less than one cent per transaction, and its features ensure Dash is undefeated as the most useful cryptocurrency in the marketplace. From a technical standpoint, Dash transactions are irreversible, and its network is protected from 51% attacks by their Chainlocks technology. There's no need to wait for a confirmation before considering a Dash transaction complete, so it's great for merchants. Dash is one of the oldest cryptocurrencies and is widely available on exchanges including the decentralized Maya protocol and in multi-crypto wallets. It's easy to get and use Dash. Start by learning more at Dash.org. Big thanks to the Dash DAO for sending us 32 Dash per month to promote Dash on the air. Visit Dash.org to learn more about Dash. That's Dash.org. And with you in the studio tonight, you've got me, Bonnie. Jay Noon. And Mark Edge. And I just realized on my own, have you, um, that I didn't have Mark up on screen. So if you're watching the streams, you can now see Mark's beautiful face. Indeed. Um, so in the last segment, we had teased it but didn't get into it. I'm not really sure what's new about this. I've only scanned it a bit. Apparently, I'll lose that someone named Dan Bongino is covering it in detail and when I Googled that to see who it was. He tweeted, oh, this is a bombshell revelation. Watch my episode to get deep into what all of this means. So maybe you could go there. But most of these clickbaity headlines for these videos are very, very disappointing. About Jeffrey Einstein? <laughs> no, episode? just uh, this bombshell revelation. And then you're like, you know, it, like I listen to some YouTube videos mm-hmm. you know, as I today? work and travel. Yeah, today I listened to a couple. Mm. That's kind of, you know, I don't have like time to sit there and read and I don't watch them. But, you yeah. know, like, for example, the last three days I was doing a whole bunch of tree work and firewood. So I got my, you know, wireless, you know, ear protection, earmuffs on. And I'm listening to like youtube videos and you know just the phones you know sitting on a tractor and i got my you know, e- you know earphones on and i do that like all day too like i'm and, vacuuming or whatever and i'm listening to recently my thing has been eckhart tolle but sometimes it's you know political things whatever but i i just thought you meant um you heard about this jeffrey Epstein well stuff. yeah yeah so i've listened to a handful of these things mm-hmm. and like these guys just go on and on about like not a whole bunch, just in general. Not like I don't know about Dan, but you know, I didn't listen to what his, you know, right. you know, his thing was. But there's just so many clickbaity headlines, especially about like, oh, the economy is going into a free fall crash, you know, hmm. doom and gloom. And then they're like, you know, and their whole video is pretty much just a segue for uh, take my course on how to protect yourself and invest, or like buy silver <laughs> you know, through yeah. my website, yeah, yeah, or things something. like that. Well, the thing. That seems to be new in the Jeffrey Epstein case says that the identities of dozens of well-known figures linked to Jeffrey Epstein have been revealed in court papers unsealed in the U.S. overnight. 
I'm just a little confused because I've already heard of these names. So what was it just a rumor before and now it's official? It says high profile people such as Prince William, Bill Clinton, Donald Trump, Al Gore, Kevin Spacey and Stephen Hawking were included in evidence filings. Actors Leo DiCaprio or Leonardo, sorry. Kate Blanchett, Cameron Diaz, and Bruce Willis are in there along with model Naomi Campbell. None of them have been accused of any involvement in Epstein's crimes, but Epstein was a name dropper. Johanna Zjoberg claimed in evidence released overnight. Ms. Zjoberg was clear that she never had met them. So we so, can get into it. So, so here's my commentary on this. Just because their names are dropped doesn't mean they had anything to do with it or they were a bad actor. Mm -hmm. Like, for example, in my, you know, lawsuit against the state of New Hampshire, it's going to include all kinds of names. One of the names that's going to be said multiple times in the documents is, you know, Matthew French, chief of police, Henniker Police Department. And... His name's going to be said in it because he was involved in it. He was, and he was like the one of the good guys. You know, he's not being sued. He's essentially like, you know, uh, was someone who was, you know, protecting my rights, protecting my family, you know, doing what was right. But that is, and, it seems that that could be a bit different um, than I mean, this it, because it could be a lot of people who are completely unfamiliar with the court system at all might be like, oh, their name is in there at all. It must mean something. But I, I think this is a, just a different type of evidence because this person who knew him came out with this new evidence. But before we get into it, I do want to uh, go to the phones because someone's on the line. Unscreened caller, you're on Free Talk Live. What's on your mind? Hey, this is Rusty from Portland. Hello, Rusty. Uh, oh, I wanted to mind? address uh, Jay Noon. You um, have claimed several times that uh, all heroin and fentanyl users are on welfare. Um, um, that's well, so I I have claimed that. Wait, um, I don't think you really claimed well, that. You claimed I, I, that. I have said that before. All heroin. Well, here's a little advice for adults. Whenever somebody says all, they mean most. Yeah. But, 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 but yes. let, let me clarify this for you. So he's not wrong in his statement. I have said all heroin and fentanyl users are on heroin. On so, welfare. Oh, I'm sorry. Yes. On welfare. Now, uh, uh, what's the caller's name? Rusty. 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 To, to clarify, uh, what is a more accurate statement, and I've said this too, is go ask a first responder. If uh, so, um, so, so the statement, really, the accurate statement is, which I have stated also, so, so the, the all heroin and fentanyl users are on welfare it w w is a statement I've said, and it's an ignorant statement. Okay. It's actually not accurate. Um, because uh, I do happen to know, for example, guys that work construction that aren't on welfare that are using heroin, mm -hmm. uh, and I, I've I've seen them, you know, shoot up on the job site. Uh, I've I witnessed one guy uh, with a paving crew on the side of an interstate highway um, in his truck. As I was working on the paver, I had to I open up the door of the truck to go talk to the boss who was in the passenger side of the truck. Was he like nodding out? And the dude in the driver's seat of the truck, who was a CDL truck driver. Uh, and a good standing license literally was putting uh, uh, heroin into his arm, was injecting heroin, and he's not on welfare. Now, the, cor the correct statement that I've yeah, said is, is that um, ask any first responder about Narcamming, uh, uh, giving Narcam to people who are overdosing. It's Narcan oh, with an N. Oh, Narcan. 
Uh, ask any first responder. So I have asked a whole bunch of first responders. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, out of all the people that you have witnessed overdose, either you've given them Narcan, Narcan, or you have put them in a body bag that have overdosed on opiates. Right. I wanted to address that because yeah, you you've mentioned that you've talked to like ambulance drivers yep. and they all say the overdose. One just called. Have EB, EBT cards. Yep. And um, well, first of all. Just because you have an EBT card in your wallet does not mean you're on welfare. Lots of people have old EBT cards in their wallet. But um, well, an EBT card the, is EBT is a form of welfare. He's just saying it could right. be expired. It mean, okay, I mean, they're well, currently yeah. on welfare. Oh, okay. Well, all right. Like if you, uh, according to like a national study that was done between 2008 and 2012, 55 percent of all people with substance abuse disorders are employed. Like, um, the first responders are usually dealing but with the worst of the worst. Like, if you're, if you're overdosing on a regular basis or even at all, like, most of the... I mean, anybody can overdose anytime, right? But it's more probably the people Probably most people won't overdose on fentanyl because they're not doing it. Well, a lot of people are doing fentanyl, but they may not know it because it's heroin. Like, I have a friend who wasn't the worst of the worst. He's not, you know, like, trash. He lived in a nice suburban house with his parents, only with his parents at 22 because the government had went after him and made his life terrible and miserable for selling weed. And then he wasn't allowed to do anything for years because he's on probation. The day he got off of it, he was like, I want to do a drug. Did heroin, quote unquote, with his friend and overdosed and died on fentanyl. He's not the worst of the worst. He wasn't on welfare as far as I knew, um, but he right. died of fentanyl. I mean, I just I don't I don't think anybody should be speaking in terms of all like I feel like you just didn't you just say or did I mishear you that all fentanyl users are employed? No, 55% no, of substance. 55% of people with substance abuse disorder, like, in, that's all drugs. Which could be alcohol, which could be weed, which could be, I don't know, you might as well include caffeine and tobacco in that. Hmm. I mean, they're substances. <laughs> I mean, yeah, but they're probably I mean, not the, agree, the government definition. Right. I mean, obviously, welfare needs to be abolished, but these are some of the most oppressed, screwed over people in America. I mean, they're constantly locked in cages and stolen from by the government. And the reason they need so much money to buy their drugs in the first place is because prohibition has artificially inflated the prices. So if if anybody deserves welfare, it's probably them. Well, you know, but, I agree with uh, your assessment that that's why uh, that these people are really oppressed for their choice of drug. Like we don't oppress alcohol, oppress alcohol users in the same way. And it's a very dangerous drug. But Rusty, I have a, a really interesting question to ask you, because my sister's boyfriend's also from um, Oregon. And he is always railing about like he's more like a right winger. And he's always railing about like, see, obviously legalizing drugs was a bad idea because look at Portland. Well, what do you have to say about that? I always tell him, well, you have a lot of like messed up laws already in Portland, like no guns, a bunch of welfare. So what do you have to say about that? Well, the the drug crisis, the fentanyl crisis was coming to Portland, whether we decriminalize drugs or not. Like mm. it's and the main I think they around 2020 or so, like support for criminal justice reform was at like all time high. Right. But they swung too far in the other direction to where they made it to where if you get arrested for any kind of crime, like uh, 
crimes with victims, like stealing stuff, breaking into cars. They they weren't locking these people up. They were letting. They're still letting them right back out. Hmm. Like if you, and that's the uh, one of the main drivers of the crime here. Like it's not necessarily the drug decriminalization. Like you you can you can stop locking people up for victimless crimes, but to also not lock people up for crimes that have a victim is a is a bad idea. Like that. And it just makes it look all bad because people lump it all together. I see. So you're saying Portland just has a crime problem. It's not necessarily a drug problem only. Well, that makes yeah, sense. They're just they're soft on all kinds of crime. Like, but the I don't think the drug decriminalization alone is a problem. Hmm. It's a combination of things. And the city is horrible with money. They they've always been a poorly managed city and it was going to come to a head eventually. But I mean, there's, there's cities in other places in the country that have not decriminalized drugs that are just as bad to live in. That's very, very true. And it's not like you're walking down the street in the middle of the day here and you're going to get robbed. Like it's not, that crazy. I mean, there's places you don't want to go like late at night, but it's yeah. yeah when I was in Portland, I, I didn't feel unsafe. What I felt like right. was this is a once great city that is now covered in garbage and poo. Mm. Yeah. That sucks. Well, thank you so much for the call, Rusty. I really appreciate that. Um, did you have something you want well, to ask him? Well, with the respect of like welfare, so I would like say disability, for example, is welfare. So I personally know many people that i would consider my peer group let's say 10 to 15 years older than me and 10 to 15 years younger than me uh and they got into opiates um many of them because they got into an injury like a legitimate injury and the doctor prescribed them like one particular fella uh vicodin and he'd like to Viking grab the hold of this dude really, really hard. Hmm. Um, and he was like a good, solid dude. Um, his family had had a really good like um, tire business. Uh, he was uh, also like a little bit in the uh, in, in in involved in agricultural uh, things, and, and we were sort of like um, did a lot of business with each other, you know, on on the ag side. Uh, and anyways. And he was he was a pretty good friend of mine. Like, he was a good friend of mine. And I watched him go from, like, you know, I knew him before this injury. And so he's, like, working uh, a straight job. He's working his side hustle. He's doing really good. He's, like, acquiring, like, he's doing well. And he, and, and he gets injured. And they're giving him Vicodin, giving him Vicodin. And basically, he, ha- he had a shoulder injury, and he had, like, a couple surgeries. And... Then it got to the point to where he's like, now he's qualifies for disability. And, and uh, so he basically is, is, is and, and he's like snorting Vicodins, you know, at this time and is, and, and like his like teeth are getting bad and he's like getting really skinny and you can just tell that like, you know, he, he wasn't doing well I and mean, he wasn't thriving. Um, it's actually really sad because he, he, he got like married. He had a couple of kids um and uh and, and and his parents sort of enabled him a little bit hmm. um so he that doesn't uh, happen in america yeah yeah so so <laughs> but this guy got on disability and basically the and and, and like his dis so he like you know he made a lot of money like when he was making money and 
So he got on disability at like, I don't know, I guess. He, and he's like literally about the same age as me. Uh, so it was like 33, 34. He got on disability. And 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 his parents said the worst thing that happened to him was he got on disability. Mm-hmm. As, as soon as he got on disability, you know, he went from crushing up Vicodins to snorting it to like, like, and, and he explained this to me one day. He's like, well, then I started, you know, putting it into like injecting it. And he was telling me about that procedure. Like, I, I don't know if he's injecting Vicodin or like heroin. Mm. And then it just got to the point to where he's like buying street heroin. Mm. Uh, and, you know, so like the wife divorces him, you know, uh, the, the, you know, the kids are like, you know, it, it got real problematic for the kids. Uh, like the grandparents basically like sort of like lost the, the business, the parents lost the business, lost, you know, a, a couple of family properties over this deal. Um, and, it, and, and it's a huge mess. I'm not even sure if the guy's still alive, hmm. but I know like so many like hardworking good dudes that got injured. The doctors prescribed them the opiates, the, the dopamine hit from the opiate es- essentially just ruled their life after that. And, um, they, uh, and then when they got on disability, then it got really, really, really bad because they didn't actually have to get up and go to work That makes so much because sense. they got disability, they got to section eight housing. And yeah, like, they, they know that money's coming every month yep. and they just get comfortable with that level of whatever it is, but and on disability, you can't more- earn too much, right? Right, right. You're not allowed to earn over a certain amount on yeah, paper. Yeah, but you you'll also don't. You don't need to prove. Okay, so that's the other thing too. His side hustle, you know, you just go do that as a cash deep cash cow. So he would basic. So so it's like so like another one of the things that like you can do on disability is you can flip the drugs mm. because now when you're a drug addict, you're 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 familiar with the marketplace. So that was like one of the things that this guy was allegedly doing. I don't know that he was doing that for fact, but mm. you, know, you hear stories like you know just assumed and believed it. So he was like, you know, trafficking, you know, the narcotics himself uh, as, you know, part of his like side hustle. Mm-hmm. And then he, and he had a trucking company and like just he literally just liquidated like, I don't know, like hundreds of thousands of dollars like of equipment for like, you know, not a lot of money because he was just so addicted that basically when his uh, like when his disability money ran out. Um, he would, you know, just start, you know, selling tools and he would even call me, Hey, you want to buy, you know, I, I remember this air compressor. He wanted to sell me one day that I, you know, he knew I knew about. And, and I just, I called his dad and his dad's like, no, don't give him any money. You can't give him any money. He's oh just, he's, he, he's a full blown junkie. Don't give him any money. And what's sad about <laughs> this know? story is that that's a totally legal drug that big pharma makes that a doctor gave to him. And there are just probably so many better ways to do this type of thing. Um, you know, like manage someone's pain than to give them something that's heroin light. Yeah. Yep. Oh, I wanted to make one more point. Um, I feel like now, as far as like functioning opiate addicts go nowadays, it's almost more of them are actually working versus like 10, 15 years ago, thanks to like the gig economy, because whereas before, if opiate addict was like unable to get their their drugs one day and they're sick, they might not show up for work and they get fired. Now they can do like DoorDash or Uber or whatever and work when they want. And the flexibility of that has allowed more drug addicts to actually work. So, Rusty, you are not the first guy to correct me on my statement that all 
you know, heroin users are collecting welfare. I guess I just didn't understand you as, as saying all, but okay. Well, I, I did say that before. Mm-hmm. Um, it, you know, it, it was an ignorant statement. And because I literally have had people that I've worked with that are like, I am a opiate user. I maintain my job. Like people have sent me text messages and I'm like, should right. send this kind of message in a text message. <laughs> Use something encrypted. Uh, but, uh, Check out ibogaine.com if you want to get off heroin. Ibogaine clinics, they got these clinics in Mexico where they um, give you ibogaine and I, it's like a whole week-long thing. It's like $10,000 and it uh, resets your dopamine receptors like basically back to the time you were born. So when, when you're done with it, you're not interested in alcohol. You're not interested in porn addictions. You're not interested in um, like opiates, uh, all kinds of stuff. And of course, it's illegal in the United yes. States. Right. Yep. Schedule one. I was going to say, yeah. like, the worst kind of illegal, schedule right, right. one. And and, and, <laughs> and and so, like, I have, and also, I have, like, I got another friend I went to high school with. Great guy. Oh, man, I love this guy. It, 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 it's so heartbreaking, you know, to think about some of this stuff, but he was one that uh, he heard me, I don't know, he heard through Facebook or something, you know, that I'd said this or somebody clipped something of, you know, what I was doing and put it up somewhere. And he's like, he calls me. He's like, hey, it's so-and-so. You remember me? I'm like, hell yeah, I remember you, buddy. How you doing? He's like, I do coke every weekend and I function just fine. <laughs> and, and I'm like, and I'm, and I'm like, aren't you like divorced? And you're like, yeah. He's like, you know, screw that B. But, you know, oh, and, my goodness. you know, and, and he's just like. He's like, yeah, you know, I'm fine. You know, I just, you know, I buy an eight ball every Saturday night or, or whatever he, he was telling me about. And he's like, and, and he has, and, and he told me the reason that he got into doing Coke is because he had some kind of like thing happen. And this guy's in Massachusetts. Uh, he had some kind of thing happen years ago where he was going to get whiz quizzed, you know, urine sample mm-hmm. for, for cannabis use for, for, for marijuana. And so he started Coke. So, well, he started doing Coke because. It, it either doesn't show up or it wasn't part they of the test it, or yeah. I, I don't well, from what I under from actually he told me is that like Coke is all out of your system like within a couple of days and like mm. THC can be like show 30 up days, it, even 60 days it can still be mm. in your system uh, especially if you like do a fast or you're like kind of like you know you lose some fat and and the THC was stored in the fat it will um, you know, show up in your system even if you hadn't used a THC in like 60 days. That's what he told me. Hmm. But basically that's what yeah, got him. Yeah, the government yeah. has literally incentivized yeah. hard drug use by putting m- however many people they've put on probation and parole over the years, and they know they can't smoke pot because it's in their system too long, so they do hard drugs instead. And and, and this yeah. particular guy is like, you shouldn't talk bad about about doing cocaine unless you try it. It's a lot of fun, man. You should try it. <laughs> I I'm, don't deny that it's probably a lot of fun, but I've still never tried it because it sounds like a lot of fun. Well, it's got very poor reviews. That's why I'm not into it. The other thing is that a lot of people have told me it's like, like when I was in high school, I did like Adderall. And I remember this feeling of being like, oh, I want to do it again as soon as it's over. And people say that it's like that, but a million, million times. Um, like as soon as you're not high on cocaine, you're like, I know it's 2 a.m., but I got to hit up the dealer. Like, I need more, yep. and I don't want to do that. My, uh, my crackhead uncle uh, begged and pleaded with me as a child. He was like 12, 13-year-old kid, you know, as he's, like, sold all his tools and all his stuff again, you know, because he would, like, do a bunch of crack, sell everything, you know, have nothing left, and then not do crack for four or five months. And then as soon as he had, like, a 
big chunk of a couple thousand dollars. He just went and did crack, and then he would just do crack for like weeks until all of his stuff was sold. I watched this guy do this over and over again, and he's like, "Yep, don't ever do it. It's a monster that just keeps calling you back." And uh, so, due to those poor reviews, you know, expressed to me by my uncle, I've, I've I've been offered that stuff multiple times over the years. And every time I'm offered to it, all I can think about is my uncle saying it's a monster and it keeps calling you back. I believe all right, it. Well, I, pre- I appreciate it, guys. Have a good night. Thank you so much for the call, Rusty. 603-283-6160. What do you think? Do you think the United States should make some of these things more legal? Are they incentivizing harder drugs by the marijuana crackdown? 603-283-6160. It's Free Talk Live. More coming up. Eutheromania, the insatiable desire for freedom. We have been enslaved for all our lives. It's the new three-song heavy metal EP from Captain Kickass. Available now on your favorite music app or get it directly from CaptainKickass.com. that you control you can call in at 603-283-6160 that number is 603-283-6160 and i want to tell you about fork fest 2024 join liberty-minded voluntarists anarchists and libertarians from june 13th through the 16th for the eighth annual fork fest at rogers campground in the beautiful white mountains of new hampshire fork fest is a fork of the Porcupine Freedom Festival, which has sold out in recent years. ForkFest happens the weekend before the Porcupine Freedom Festival. ForkFest is decentralized, which means that there's no ticket cost and no one is in charge. All you have to do to join the fun is reserve your camping site, RV site, or motel room with Rogers Campground for June 13th through the 16th. You can find out more at the unofficial website, forkfest.party. You can also connect with other attendees on the ForkFest Telegram and Matrix chat rooms, as well as the ForkFest forum. You can find links to both of those at forkfest.party. We hope to see you there June 13th through the 16th. Forkfest.party. And with you in the studio tonight, you've got me, Bonnie. Jay Noon. Uh-oh. Well, we can't hear Mark, but he's there somewhere. Yeah, I have him unmuted, but suddenly I can't hear Mark. But Mark is here with us from... I am here with you. Oh, there you go. My fault. It's okay. I wanted to also tell you about one other announcement. On Friday, January 12th, we're having... And Mark, this is New Hampshire News. I hope you don't mind, but Ian wants me to remind people that on Friday, New Hampshire 12th... I mean, Friday, January 12th, there are two secession bill hearings in the New Hampshire Legislative Office Building... It's going to be at room 206-208, so they put it in one of the larger rooms at 9.30 a.m., 
and 10.15 a.m. respectively. You can go there and voice your support. It's the most effective way, I, I believe, is to go in person and tell the committee, I support this bill, I support secession. One, one of them is the bill that will amend the Constitution, the people will be able to vote on it, to amend the Constitution to say, oh, if the national debt reaches $40 trillion, then we secede. It's like a trigger um, for secession. And the second one starts a study committee to figure out some answers to certain things about secession. So very important bills. But we did talk about the Jeffrey Epstein thing. I I think the only thing I really have to say about that right now, because the headline is like you're saying, like it's one of those things that seem, it's like whenever WikiLeaks would would put out something new, people are like, oh my gosh, a new WikiLeaks drop. But a lot of the times it was a new WikiLeaks drop, but not really new information. That is basically what this is. Um, the judge said today and did release some, unseal some things about the Jeffrey Epstein case, but it doesn't look like anything new is out. It's just saying what we already knew about some celebrities having visited the island. And it's interesting. And the other thing about it is that more will be rolling out. That's how they set it up. So like in several weeks, more will be unsealed and then more and more um, so that's all that there was really to say about the Epstein story, but this is from, I, I want to know, is that Island ever going to go up for sale? I mean, this oh, guy's been dead for a while. <laughs> Might be haunted. And, I don't believe he's um, dead. Yeah. Well, okay, Maybe well, he's there. He's, he's not at the Island. <laughs> yeah. I doubt he's not, he's not going there. Cause that's, that's a hotbed, but yeah, the, mm. um, something's going to be like, I saw his ghost. I bought the Island and I oh, swear I'm says- seeing his ghost. Shoot, it, it sold without me knowing. Financier buys Epstein's private island with plans to create a resort. Oh my gosh, I was going to joke about that. I was going to say you should make it a tourist attraction, like come to Jeffrey Epstein's island and see where the kids were tortured. That's crazy. 71 acre property. Um, it's, yeah, I mean, what I'd want to know is I bet they couldn't clean that thing. Whatever, you know, whatever, whatever's there, there's, there's something there. There's some incriminating evidence there. They probably couldn't um, spiritually clean it. Well, <laughs> that, that could be too. Um, it looks like we have a caller. Chuck from Washington, you're on Free Talk Live. What's on your mind? Yeah, you said the trigger word there, uh, Epstein. All day <laughs> long, I've been listening to this Epstein thing uh, play out. And really, uh, what I think here is happening is... Uh, uh, and Alex Jones did his victory lap on a show today. Uh, everybody's jumping down this Alex Jones uh, fox or not foxhole. Some people might need a foxhole, but rabbit uh, hole? a rabbit. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Uh, they're, they're jumping down this thing, and really, what I think here is happening is a uh, uh, there's a, a some kind of a, a unresolved um, sexual issue. Uh, that people are having with this. I, I don't know if it's an uh, unfulfilled desire to uh, do whatever, but uh, they are paying a lot of attention to this. And I think you, you, we'll probably end up seeing this kind of thing take over the place of Jean Benet Ramsey. Uh, uh, and uh, all of the. She's still making headlines in 2023. And I just can't imagine uh, this thing going away for another 50 years, depending on who's involved. Uh, so, uh, yeah, that's all I need to say. Thank um, you. So you're just saying your idea is just that people seem to be really obsessed with this because you think they have an, a sexually 
unresolved issue that makes them really interested in it. That's a creepy but possible, um, not creepy on his part, but it's creepy to think about, but that is definitely a possible reason why people are so obsessed with this. And um, speaking of places that can't sell, I learned just the other day from a Joe Rogan episode, which I'm not like a, I don't hate him or something. I just don't like sit around listening to Joe Rogan usually, but he had my favorite YouTubers, Sam and Colby on. Well, Joe Rogan was saying that the John JonBenet Ramsey house can't sell because people don't want to live in the house where a little girl was murdered, which makes sense. So speaking of... Was she mur- murdered there? I thought they they lost her and didn't know where she went. I don't know. Yeah, they never found her, I believe. That's weird. I don't know. And then there's like a conspiracy theory that Lady Gaga is actually John Bonet. No, R- no, R- it's Katy Perry. <laughs> but oh, but Katy yeah, Perry, okay. I, right, yeah, I like... don't believe it really, and I am not one of those people who don't believe any conspiracy theories. Like, I definitely believe some conspiracy theories, but I just have looked... So many times they both have she's naturally blonde. You might not know that Katy Perry is naturally blonde because she's like famous for having black hair, but she's naturally blonde, has big blue eyes, but she just doesn't look enough like her for me. But it could be plastic surgery, but it is really interesting, crazy. Yeah, I don't really have an opinion, but just something I heard. And I didn't even have it right. I said the wrong name. (laughs) Oh, yeah. I don't really expect you to know the differences between all of the top teen pop star music yeah, makers i don't pay attention to that good stuff. news because i don't <laughs> <laughs> but so we have this story from wall street journal it's an opinion piece and it says electric mandates have california truckers charging overtime they haul lighter loads and spend hours plugged in consumers will ultimately foot the bill of course so it's something that the government of california has done but the consumers and taxpayers are going to foot the bill for this dumb idea so the, so this is you're talking about semi trucks yep like that are hauling all the produce that are electric like, california produces uh, like a a lot I, I it's a huge portion of the fruit and vegetables consumed throughout the united states and they have gotten so ridiculous that i know that like you right now, if you have like a two thousand a pre two thousand ten like semi truck or commercial truck, you cannot go into California with it unless it's like uh, been upgraded with like so like one of these semi trucks they have to be upgraded with like all this crazy emission stuff. If Even if you're not working. Well, if it's a recreational, I think you're exempt. But like hmm. if you're like a commercial trucker and like you're gonna go haul like I don't know some hay to California from say Texas or Arizona. And pick, or, or you're just going there with your refrigerator truck to pick up some produce to, you know, the haul back to, you know, the East Coast or something or wherever, some city somewhere, out, you know, you can't go into California if your truck is older than 2010 unless you do like a $35,000 sort of upgrade to these trucks, which is, you know, has to do with all the emission systems. And then the emission systems on these trucks make these trucks extremely unreliable and then also so now there's a mandate pushing that you have to have all these electric trucks mm-hmm. so um was I there any more no you wanted idea. to read on that well i had no idea that there were even electric semi trucks that seems kind of crazy like it, and it makes sense that it says that they're having to haul lighter loads because it just sounds like well it doesn't sound strong enough to haul around you know imagine a 16 wheeler 18 wheeler yep 18 wheeler it seems like that is just too big for like an electric little motor. I don't know. You guys have more. Mark ha- yeah, has I, a electric vehicle experience. Yeah, well, I do. Um, but I, I, I don't make any positive statements with Jay on the show when it comes to vehicles. Um, 
I, what the question I'd ask is, wouldn't uh, an electric motor be able to produce more torque? Oh, just not a lot. Of speed abs- absolutely. So the electric motors, like electric drive, is the way to go. So like all your freight trains, your modern freight trains are what are called diesel electric hybrid. The Euclid rock trucks that can carry like fifty or a hundred tons of rock. The big mining trucks that are like eighteen foot wide and twenty foot tall and forty foot long. Like, like, you know, the classic Tonka truck that a kid plays with. Mm-hmm. Imagine oh. that. But it can carry, you know, 50 or 60 tons of rock. That's called like oh. a rock truck. So those things don't, don't have transmissions. They have huge diesel engines with generators. And then they have a series of controllers and wires that run to what they call the hub mounted motors. Trains are the same way. Why is it that they would be saying that these truckers in California have to? Because they're not diesel electric hybrids. Hmm. They just are battery powered. Yeah. So batteries are extremely heavy, and these trucks are um, there. There it, and it's also hardcore government subsidized. Like there's big subsidies by the state of California, by the federal government to cre- create this. Well, this is a pretty good thing to um, talk about here because yesterday Ernest Hancock and I actually did a podcast with a guy named Chase Barber. Ernest Hancock of Declare Your Independence. He's on the re- Liber. Sorry, Free Talk Live Radio Network with us now, um, and he's on Mondays. So so if you want to listen, so Chase Barber is from Edison Motors out of uh, British Columbia, Canada. So Chase Barber is a logger. He had a logging business. Uh, what a great guy. He, If you uh, want to watch some of his YouTube videos, uh, Edison Motors on YouTube, uh, edisonmotors.ca. He's a, a Canadian outfit is his uh, website. If you are like into cars, into trucks, if you like really enjoy how your Prius drives, and the first time I drove a Prius was last summer. Hmm. So a friend of mine uh, let me borrow his Prius to come down here and do the show. And when I got home, I said, hey, man, I want my truck to be like this Prius hmm. because the Prius has what's called is, is a hybrid. So it has an internal combustion engine that's basically hooked up to a generator, and then it has a battery pack. And... So what happens when you're driving a Prius? Now, Mark has a lot of miles and hours in driving a Prius. I think you guys have had a couple different Priuses, right, Mark? No, just uh, I've just had the the one Prius, and uh, it's almost a quarter million miles on it. There you go. So, anyway, by the way, I'll say this about Priuses: um, one thing that nobody ever says is, "I love driving a Prius." Um, <laughs> it's a it's a pretty boring car generally, but. I have had no trouble with it. Oh, well, it's you mean an it for, amazing car to drive. You don't I, mean it in a, as in it's fun. You mean that it's like really um, good for mileage, right? It's just super practical. Hmm. So like there's no transmission to service. There's no clutch to repair. You hmm. basically don't ever have to put brakes on them if you learn how to drive it correctly and you drive them properly because it does what's called regenerative braking. So you the, have to re- you have to replace the brakes every hundred and fifty thousand miles, otherwise they just kind of seize up or something. Right, right. Um, so yep. yeah, 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 yeah. That's the problem. The brakes never wear out; they just seize up due to not using them. <laughs> so basically, if you drive that Prius correctly, the only time you really ever st- apply the actual brakes is like five feet from the stop sign essentially so or if like somebody runs out in front of you and you have to or you know step on your brakes for some kind of emergency reason Hmm. so anyways getting back to edison motors uh we interviewed chase barber uh if you go to freedomsphoenix.com and you click on the top right where it says declare your independence with ernest hancock and it has ernest hancock's cursive signature up there that is all of his shows and you can actually listen to that that, that, that's where the archives are, and you can listen to that show. I'm sure it's up on it, it, either an MP3 
or an MP4. And what's really nice is you can just listen to freedomsphoenix.com, the um, MP3 file, and like you can just base and you can download it to your phone, and then you can be offline and listen. That's one thing I really like about it. So like when you're traveling around New Hampshire all day, you can listen to you know that, and it doesn't get interrupted. You mm-hmm. know, you, it, there's an option not to stream, or there's a video you can watch of me, Chase, and Ernie. So the video actually might be good for some people who aren't really into cars, kind of understand some of the things that we talked about a little bit. But uh, what these guys did, uh, Edison Motors, is they actually make a, a... Oh, let me get back to how the EV hybrid works. So the EV hybrid has an internal combustion engine, whether it's gas or diesel, it doesn't matter. A, hook, a generator hooked to it. So the, the, the truck or the car has electric hub drive or, elect, or electric motors on the axles. Now, electric motors make massive, massive torque. Like, they make their maximum torque at zero RPM to where, like, the engine in your Honda Civic, for example, makes its, like, most torque at, like, three quarters into the RPM range. So if your Honda Civic uh, idles at 1,000 RPMs and red lines at 7,000 RPMs, is making its maximum torque somewhere around 5,000 RPMs. It's consuming a lot of gasoline at 5,000 RPMs. Uh, that's just the way internal combustion gas engine works diesel engines make their maximum torque very low in the rpm range usually about less than halfway into the rpm range so the diesel engine in my dodge cummins pickup trucks truck makes like 600 foot pounds of torque at 1400 rpm but its red line is like 2800 rpm idles at about 600 rpm and you're saying that 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 just all that means that torque is the ability to move something but you're saying that all that means that it can move something without using as much um, gas. So the eve. So here's the thing. So let's talk about semi trucks for the purpose of this discussion. So semi trucks, like the 53 foot or the 18 wheelers that you see driving around, they are they are generally freighted out to weighing 80 thousand pounds. Well, generally most of those trucks weigh between you know 19 to like. 30,000 pounds empty, depending on how they're spec'd. So if you weigh like 20,000 pounds on an empty, empty semi-truck, you can put 60,000 pounds of cargo in it and drive down the road legally. Well, um, it's you, terrifying. If you have overweight permits, that same semi-truck in certain areas is good for 105,000 pounds. If you have a Tritum drive or a, tri- or, or a tri-axle trailer, you can be like 120,000 pounds. A guy who delivered me an excavator this summer delivered me an 84,000-pound excavator that I worked on for a friend and he brought it he delivered it on a truck that was designed to max out at a like 100 and uh, 175,000 pounds you know it's a big old truck with lots of axles and tires so anyways these trucks have big powerful 500 horsepower diesel engines a 500 horsepower diesel engine is literally the equivalent of a 15 horsepower gasoline engine when it comes to pulling because of the torque that a diesel engine makes well the thing is is you need all that 500 horsepower and that three or four thousand or that two 2,400 foot pounds of torque that big Caterpillar diesel engine in a semi truck produces to get that 80,000 pound moving uh, up the hills and get it going. But once you get up to cruising speed, you really only need like 200 horsepower or 150 horsepower. And this is kind of the same thing with all cars. Well, um, uh, here in New Hampshire, we have a lot of hills. So when you're driving your EV, uh, you're going down the hill, you can do what's called regenerative braking. So like when you're driving your Prius or your EV semi truck or your Tesla truck, you can, when you let off the gas and just touch the brake just a little bit, there's a little thing on a dash. It'll show that like a light or an arrow is going from the wheel motors to the batteries. It like, it shows that you're charging the batteries. That's called regenerative braking. 
And well, then if- Jay, uh, just to be clear, on the Prius specifically, there is a gear, let's call it, because it's on the oh, gear yeah. shift. Yep. Um, they call it brake. Um, oh, where right. And this, what it does is applies the brake, as you're talking about, a small extent, and it regenerates as you're going down hills. Because sometimes in New Hampshire, the hills will be so steep that you'll get going too fast. Obviously, the best form of fuel economy is the speed that you have. You don't want to store it in a battery. You want to use it. But at some point, you'll get up to, you know, going down a hill at 80 miles an hour, and you don't want to do that. <laughs> so you put this on and that just uh, grabs at least some of the power that is being generated. And when I drove that Prius, I didn't use that option because I thought the B meant working off the battery, not yeah. regenerating the braking. Actually, I, 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 I wasn't clearing that until you just mentioned it, Mark. Yep. So anyways, mm-hmm. uh, but I, I drove a Prius one night. That's all. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so anyways, uh, so with the semi trucks here in New Hampshire, they're, you know, and even like when I go haul cattle or haul logs or hay or whatever, everywhere I travel, I, am, I, I use the term, I climb up one side of the hill and slide down the other. Mm. So like when I go up hills and I'm peaking a hill, for example, on like Interstate 91, which goes up through Vermont, but it's all, it's like a ski slope. It's yeah. up and down, up and down. And when I was hauling hay from Quebec to Massachusetts, I would be topping the hills, like some of the big hill up by St. Johnsbury. This is like nine miles of like downhill. Well, At the top of that hill, I'd be just doing like 30 miles an hour. Not 70, not 65, because I would have to be on the brakes like the whole time. And then what I would do is I would, at the top of that hill at like 30 miles an hour, I would just coast. And I would actually downshift, and my truck had a thing called an exhaust brake, which helped with braking, engine braking. And I still had to use the brakes going down the hill in order not to be you know, going too fast, because at the bottom of a lot of these hills, you have to make a pretty good turn, it seems like. So like you can't be like, you know, flying. So anyways, with these... It, it always does seem like that, doesn't yes. it? Yes. <laughs> uh, so, so with these semi-trucks, um, you're actually, with these EV semi-trucks, diesel electric that Edison Motors is doing, and they're actually doing this for pickup trucks, and that's what really got me excited about this, because I want a diesel electric uh, kit for my pickup truck. Problem is, it's like $35,000. Um, but a brand new diesel pickup truck is like a hundred grand. so you know, to refort like an old pickup truck is like a pretty good idea. So what Edison Motors is doing is taking these trucks, and they're mostly for logging and like farming and agricultural type stuff, and... They're uh, putting, removing the five and 600 horsepower diesel engines, and they're putting like a 250 horsepower diesel engine with a generator hooked up to it. But to be clear, California is not even allowing that. Oh, yeah, they'll allow that. But the thing is, is nobody's really building a diesel electric truck. These are the Hmm. only guys doing it. And they were able to produce a diesel electric truck basically within one year. Um, Tesla hasn't even, hasn't, doesn't even have a, diesel truck on the market you can buy this this guy chase said that he ordered a diesel uh, he ordered a tesla electric semi semi truck in 2017 and they still haven't delivered it well you know he's a welfare uh recipient sure. uh, yep. elon yep. musk so he's probably not yep. that um excited to jump to getting well, to work well the, well the problem is is they're having a hard time testing it and making it work so these diesel electric trucks are using half of the fuel to go the same distance and be and because they're driving the motors with electric motors and are using a, a diesel engine and a generator to drive them uh uh it's super efficient and it has a a, a, a whole bunch of options and we're going to go into a break here and i'll talk more about uh, and also this guy chase barber edison motors i found out by accident that he's a libertarian 
Hmm. And he didn't even know he was libertarian, but pretty much all entrepreneurs become libertarians when they start learning about all of the gar- garbage government puts in their way. Do you like yep. being stolen from? Do you like being stopped from making as much money as you can? Maybe you're a libertarian if you don't. 603-283-6160. It's Free Talk Live. More coming up. The Shire Free Church offers a sanctuary to those seeking an escape from state churches. The Shire Free Church is an interfaith, diverse group of people that may not share identical theological beliefs. As a member in or minister of the Shire Free Church, you are a sovereign individual and may be the faith of your choice. We don't claim to have all of the answers. We are open to all peaceful people. We want to learn from each other. What unifies the Shire Free Church and its diverse members is peace, love, and liberty. There are many paths to God, one for every individual. The Shire Free Church does not define a specific path beyond these parameters that must be your foundation. Peace as your way. Love as your guide. And liberty as your light. Learn more at church.shiresociety.com. That's church.shiresociety.com. Talk Live. It's talk radio that you control. And 603-283-6160 is the phone number here. You can call in to bring up whatever is on your mind. That's 603-283-6160. And I want to thank Greg Lilly. Thank you so much, Greg Lilly, for being an elite member with us with the AMPS program. We really appreciate that. That means that he is giving money to our AMPS program that you can go to AMPS dot freetalklive.com to get more information on. He's benefiting and has some perks for his um, help with the AMPS program. And you can sign up at amps.freetalklive.com. Thank you so much to Greg Lilly. We really appreciate everybody who is a part of the AMPS program. And we means me, Bonnie, Jay, and Mark. And in the last segment, we were talking about this story from the Wall Street Journal that I just think is a really good example of the government acting like they're doing something good for people and really harming them. So what it is, is it says the electric mandates have California truckers charging overtime. Maybe Californians would say, listen, I'll I'll foot the bill as a consumer to not harm the planet, and we could talk about that as well. Yeah, I know these EV, you know, mining lithium is way more har- harming the planet than using the most, no- the number two most renewable resource, crude oil, hmm. um, which is super clean, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, when you burn it, especially when you burn it in a combustion chamber and you burn it very hot. In fact, diesel fuel, for example, the particulate that comes from diesel fuel is essentially. Uh, fertilizer like plants use it <laughs> and and 
you know, and then a lot of the with the new technology, the newer technology of like the electronic fuel injection and stuff like that, the um, the diesel. I, um, I'm a little confused though because I thought that diesel oil was considered non-renewable. Crude oil is very oh, renewable. You said crude oil. Yeah, well, well. It, well, diesel fuel comes from crude oil, and crude oil is something. So it's called the ambiotic uh, oil um, theory, which shouldn't be really called the theory, but basically it was um, proven by uh, Russians, uh, you know, Russian scientists, you know, almost a hundred years ago that this crude oil is essentially produced by um and 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 an aerobe an ambiotic i think is how you say it uh sort of reaction in the earth's crust uh so like the term fossil fuel is i i i is horribly wrong hmm. it's misinformation it is not decomposing dinosaur bones so i've heard this and i don't mean this in a bad way but i've heard this as a conspiracy theory that Oil is something like blood, and the earth constantly makes more of it, and they don't want you to know it. I, I could believe it. Why wouldn't they lie about something like that? They go to war. They kill millions of people over oil well, and selling oil. Why well, wouldn't they lie about it something was, like uh, that? It was Rockefeller U.S. Standard Oil that essentially created the peak oil theory. So they've been saying since the 50s and the 60s, oh, we're going to run out of oil right now. It was to create scarcity. So like what happened in like um, Texas and the Texas Panhandle in Oklahoma is the Saudis in, in the 80s on, you know, via, you know, the Bush crime family, as in George Bush crime family. Uh, they the Saudi uh, royal families essentially bought up all the like oil rights to these oil wells. And what they did is they just filled these oil wells with concrete. And then what started happening with a bunch of these oil wells is the oil started percolating out of the ground around these, around where these oil wells were, you know, capped or, 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 or filled in. And, uh, the, um, uh, so the, the, uh, the oil wells, uh, so the oil, like it comes up out of the earth, you know, ground, it it starts uh, seeping up and this is where you get tar pits and like, you know, things like that. So the, the idea that oil is a fossil fuel is absolute nonsense and garbage. Hmm. Uh, and it is the number two most renewable resource on planet Earth after water. Crude oil. Well, I think we can agree that the number one most, uh, you know, cleanest uh, energy source is nuclear power. Um, everything I've managed to read on fossil fuels uh, says that they are, in fact, you know, fossil fuels but i i um you know i i I don't know i'm not an expert but i i have looked into this same theory before and i just gotta say you know like everything i've been able to come to there's there doesn't seem you know for me i've been left with the notion that there is a peak to the oil now when is it that's a that's another question because it seems to be you know for hydrocarbons keep getting pumped out of the ground would you be surprised that they would lie about that though oh no um absolutely <laughs> the uh the, the same the same people that would tell a lie about uh, nuclear power being dangerous uh will you know tell you all kinds of stuff um nuclear the, power right. is the safest form of energy that they've got out there you know the people who created the peak oil theory are the same people that lobbied the temperance movement to make alcohol legal the purpose, uh, the reason, and, and that is U.S. Standard Oil, hmm. because basically rural America, previous prohibition, every farm 
every rural American household, every homestead was a farm, pretty much. They all had alcohol stills. And what did they use that alcohol for? To run their Model T Ford, to run their Ford tractor, the Model A Ford. All of the original internal combustion engines ran on alcohol. Alcohol, yeah. Alcohol. So there's a, a book by David Bloom called Alcohol Can Be a Gas. And he goes all into this. So once they got alcohol out of the way, uh, a German fella named Rudolf Diesel was like, hey, I got this engine, Henry Ford, and you can run it on hemp seed. You can run it on canola oil. You can run it on whale fat. Hmm. And it is the diesel engine. In fact, the original diesel engine ran on coal dust. Uh, That's why they call it a coal burner. Um, So then what had to happen is U.S. Standard Oil the DuPont Corporation and Dow Corporation. So DuPont was uh, uh, very much into textiles and acrylic and nylon came out of DuPont, synthetic fabrics. And these synthetic fabrics essentially in the real marketplace could not compete with uh, hemp. And uh, U.S. Standard Oil needed to get uh, hemp oil out of the way because every farmer in the country could now just start growing hemp because hemp is like the pig of plants. It'll grow in anything. It doesn't need any <laughs> fertilizer. And you, and you take this seed and you, and you press the oil out of it, and now you can run your diesel engine in it. And then Dow Corporation had millions of acres of uh, basically forest land in the United States that they own the forestry rights to, mostly the northwest United States, and they were big-time paper producers. So these three interests... U.S. Standard Oil, DuPont, and Dow lobbied very hard and created all of the marijuana laws. Uh, uh, yeah, uh, well, propaganda and, and laws and, lo- and and lobbied it. They they created that you know marijuana is going to make black people rape white women. Yep. Like this was the the literally the the um you know the 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 claim of the DEA in the beginning. So yep, they had to get rid using of using racism to get rid of marijuana right. and right. many other things claiming that oh but, w- one time and you'll be schizophrenic for the rest of your life stuff like that. So all these same companies brought you peak oil, they brought you uh marijuana and alcohol prohibition. And yeah. I I only see their economic incentives to lie about such things. But we do have a caller on the line. Dave Ridley here in New Hampshire. What's on your mind, Dave? Uh, well, uh, I guess the, uh, our, our independence legislation is coming up on January 12th. And uh, have you already talked about that today? I did. I'm making it a point to bring it up on the show every day until the 12th because we want to get as many people out there as possible to go speak in favor of these two bills. They're both really good bills that... Jason Gerhard, Free Stater, and Matt Santanastasso, another Free Stater, put into the New Hampshire State House. And the first one, CACR 20, will make it to where the people of New Hampshire can vote to make um, change the Constitution to make it say, oh, if the feds hit $40 trillion of debt, we're out and we're we are seceding from the union. And then the other one is... Matt Santanastasso's um, more maybe um, light bill. It's not so in your face. Um, it's not so daring, but it is a really good one, I think, because how can you argue against it? All it does is create a st- um, study committee, study committee to find out some answers on things. Like some Republicans were saying, "Listen, I would vote on this, but 
I need more answers, blah, blah, blah. Like, what will happen to Social Security funds, things like that? So I've, I've gone ahead and scheduled a demonstration for 8.30 a.m. Uh, outside the legislative office building there in Concord. Um, and that'll be, that's followed an hour later by the hearing, the first hearing. But again, that first hearing is supposed to be followed by another independence hearing. So there's likely to be stuff going on for hours, if not all day. So uh, if you can get out there anytime, probably before uh, 2 p.m. on on. Um, uh, on Friday, January 12th, you could probably be useful, which would be most useful if you can get there right at the beginning and ride the whole thing out um, if, by being there at, at 830. Um, if people want to know more, they can go to forum.shiresociety.com, which has all the details, and I always like to sing it, forum.shiresociety.com. Thank you so much, Dave Ridley. And if you want to find more mm-hmm. of Dave Ridley, you can go to RidleyReport.com. Thank you so much for the call. I think it's really important that people show up to that. I I think that they're trying to kind of, it's kind of a shame to say, oh, they're trying to keep us out of there because they're uh, starting it at the early hours of 9.30 a.m. But to libertarians, that might as well be 4 (laughs) a.m. Well, they need to man up for this particular one if they think it's important. Um, I think it's I think that this idea of putting a sort of uh, debt based trigger is really quite brilliant. I've never really thought of this. Now, I don't think that um, New Hampshire seceding from the United States is uh, is a great idea. But I will say that I love the idea of there being a debt trigger. Now, at we're currently the U.S. national debt is currently at thirty four trillion and I believe the trigger is at forty trillion. We may very well hit forty trillion before, um, you know, there's <laughs> before they even get a chance to vote on this. So it may have to be moved to fifty or something like that. But and I that's think just that, nuts. They're so un, um, they're so not good with money that it's ridiculous that they have any power over the states. Oh, they're good with money. They know exactly what they're doing. Um, this is just, you know. This is just a way to move money out of the hands of the middle class into the hands of the wealthy and connected. Um, you know, I mean, that's what it all comes down to. The idea that the I guess the debt per citizen currently is a uh, hundred and one thousand dollars per person. Um, that means all the kids that are born tomorrow are born with a little hundred thousand dollar debt. All the kids they... with a social security card and birth certificate. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> well, I mean, <laughs> I don't, I don't know that they'll ever pay off this debt, but um, they could if they wanted to. And let's not forget that there already is in place an organization that can create U.S. dollars, not Federal Reserve notes, and that organization's called the U.S. Mint. It's right. making money right now. If the U.S. Mint wanted to cr- wanted to mint, um, you know, a twenty dollar coin, it could. If it wanted to make a hundred dollar coin, it could. If it wanted to make a thousand dollar coin, it could. And there's no reason that the Federal Reserve needs to, you know, that the United States government needs to borrow from the Federal Reserve in order to cr- create currency. There's no reason. Well, there is there is a reason. It's called an enslavement mechanism. It's called the invisible tax of inflation, essentially. So it's, it's just an inflation, you know, an enslavement mechanism that puts all of the wealth it literally in the pockets or digital bank accounts today 
of you know the one one tenth of the population or the one one millionth of the population, and then you know it's so there was a book that was a little nice little book book that explained this quite well uh, came out years ago called Billions for the Bankers, Debts for the People, and then there was an updated book. It was Trillions for the Bankers, More Debt for the People. Uh, so yeah, so that the Treasury Department could instruct its mint to mint you know, $34 trillion coins. Yeah. Uh, could, could. You know, a $1 trillion coin. Okay, strike 34 of these coins that are, we're going to say they're a value of $1 trillion. Here you go, Federal Reserve. You're all paid off. Uh, but what what happens if, you know, that's that's the reason I, one of the biggest reasons I feel uh, JFK got assassinated because he actually woke the mint back up, the, the, the treasury back up and started issuing, you know, uh, you know, silver notes. You know, the... Uh, and silver uh, certificates, yeah, silver certificates. Yes. Uh, and using the actual, you know, and going around the, you know, the federal reserve bank and the federal reserve is no more federal than federal express. And it doesn't have any reserves. Well, yeah, I think it's a little more federal than federal express in so much as the president uh, gets to a point, uh, maybe it's Congress. I don't know well, the government gets to a point, uh, the federal reserve chairman of the New York federal reserve. So, I mean, it's, it's this, veneer of federality as it were well yeah fair enough well the government has all kinds of ways to enslave us and keep us poor so that way we have to be in scarcity mentality where oh we don't have time to think about higher questions why are we here or anything like that because we have to work so hard just to survive every day and one of those ways is doing things making laws that make things super expensive and stupid for no reason. And I want to actually start reading this article from the California or from Wall Street Journal about the California truckers, because I think it's a great example of this. It's a very in your face, obvious example. If you can't wrap your mind around inflation tax, I think the easiest way to wrap your mind around that is just to say, well, your money is worth less today than it was yesterday because of inflation. But this is more in your face. It says, after January 1st, 2024, any new big rigs, IMC, I'm not sure what that is, registers in California have to be powered by hydrogen or electricity. Already planning the logistics for electric trucks has added 10 to 15 hours a week to Mr. Stanley's workload. And that's a longtime trucker that they interviewed for this article. California has nowhere near enough chargers to service the number of electric semi-trucks that will soon be on the road. Mr. Stanley can't risk a truck running out of battery. Getting towed only 10 miles costs $600. So they made these laws in California that truckers even must use electric vehicles. And Jay has explained that they can be hybrids too. So it's not... I, at first, I thought, how can they? How can a fully electric truck even do that? But I didn't really know much about it. But it's so it's just a big mess because you have to sit there and charge an electric car. Oh yeah. It, so this this uh, if you go on Chase Barber, if you go Edison Motors uh, YouTube, uh, I listened to uh, a two minute uh, clip uh, of him today, and he was talking about how there's. 5,000 logging trucks, and he was talking about this, you know, EV mandate uh, in California, I believe, but 5,000 logging trucks 
and each logging truck basically uses like two, you know, a, a, an average of two megawatt of power per day. So if these trucks were to be plug in, you know, battery powered, it would basically um, require something like, um, like a. Uh, 15 or 20 times more what the current British Columbia electrical grid can handle. And to update that grid would cost trillions and trillions of dollars just to update the grid only for the logging trucks. Wow. That's not for like, you know, the truck bringing your groceries to the store or, you know, the truck hauling, you know, whatever, you know, there's trucks hauling everything. They, quote unquote, want to make Bitcoin sound bad by saying, oh, it uses a lot of electricity, but then they do stuff like this. They, they can't keep th- their own stories straight. It's ridiculous. And um, I don't think Bitcoin is that big of a deal using electricity. It's like, well, right now the banking system has the lights on all the time at the bank down the street from where you are. Times a, a million. However, banks are in the United States. Um, they have trucks driving to and from them to drop off physical dollar bills and all that stuff. But that's another story. Well, I think it's also worth pointing out that the uh, United States dollar, the Federal Reserve note, is in part supported by the gigantic military-industrial complex the United States has. And if you want to talk about burning energy, the U.S. military is the largest consumer of uh, hydrocarbons on the planet. And the largest polluter altogether on the planet. So, meh. Yeah, there is 400 ounces of silver in every Tomahawk missile. That mm. essentially just gets vaporized. Yeah. And what's hilarious is they're they're using these, you know, twelve million dollar missiles to shoot down these, you know, couple thousand dollar, you know, Hootie Rebel drones in the Red Sea. <laughs> I mean, it's just you know, the, the this um tactical warfare uh, uh from a financial perspective um is just like consuming that they had to actually send some of these battle carriers like back to Richmond, Virginia to reload on or, or, or destroyer or whatever back to Richmond, Virginia to reload its missiles because it shot off all of its missiles at drones that the Houthis were the, or the Houthi rebels, I guess they call them, were, you know, launching off the coast of Yemen at, you know, freighters, you know, in the Red Sea. Wow. And um, they're not very good at being stewards of your money. The feds aren't. But it looks like we have a caller on the line, and we are a call-in talk radio show, and 603-283-6160 is the number you can call, like Ricky from the Commonwealth. What's on your mind? Thank you there, Miss Bonnie. Brother Jay. Yeah. Brother Mark, good evening. Hey, Ricky. Well, you know, today I took a cab into town because I had to get some tobacco when I went by the salon that I'd never been to before. It was recommended to me because I wanted to get a manicure and get my nails painted, you know? So I go in there, I order my, uh, my manicure with my gloss black enamel. And I have to say they did a gorgeous job. They really did. How do you know? Because I can feel it, Mark. Okay. Nice. You know, I can feel it. I can tell the work as it was being done. It was she did a beautiful job. I mean, that's not a nice that, thing. Uh, not a lot of men like really take care of their nails and go get um, like them painted or anything like that. You do, yeah, you do it was black. baked on. It's baked on, in fact. And and yep. I tell you what, you do that, it turns your your nails into the paint job of a fifty-eight Ford. It's phenomenal. And I'll tell you what, now, while I was there, you know, it's all girls, and the, and girls are a very important part of my base. You know, and the thing is, 
So I did some pre-campaign, and all the girls were crowding around me. And I'll tell you what, the girl was great. You know, she even gave me a back rub on my battle flag as a bonus. Now, the funny thing while I'm telling you all this is while I was doing that, I was doing some pre-campaigning, you know, while my nails were being done. And I was using my, telling my usual stuff, you know, which you've all heard before. But, you know, one of the things I did do is I mentioned about me being a Jeffersonian. I told the story about Jefferson and the Triple E Pirates. Now, there was a woman who did chime in on that. Now, the funny thing was, so I was done at a point, and I was sitting down in a chair. They're clearing out some people. I got to wait because uh, uh, the girl was nice enough to walk me over to the Dunkin' Donuts for my lunch. And the funny thing about the whole thing was, now, this woman, as I'm about ready to check out, comes by, and she starts talking to me. And she starts giving me... Uh, crap about my flag, you know, and saying about all, you know, and she's wrong. She doesn't know anything about history. She says, you know, that's a battle flag in North Virginia. I said, what about it? You know, and she really doesn't understand that by 1863, that was being already adopted as the flag of the Confederacy. And she's telling me all the other flags. I don't really care. And she says, you know what? I must tell you that, get this one, Mark that I'm a conservative constitutionalist. Now, I did mention I was a Jeffersonian, so here's where the fun starts. She then says to me, see, the problem is not really the union. You see, the fact of the matter is, there's another word for her than what she said. It's called a status. Now, I could have said that. She's not really the union, it's those liberals. I said, well, ma'am, you don't understand. I'm a Jeffersonian. That would make me a liberal, but I'm not a leftist. You know, what is wrong with these people? Now, I'll tell you what. Everybody in the nail salon sounded like a bunch of Confederates, except this one woman. Now, Mark, what is with that? Uh, Ricky, I mean, we've warned you multiple times that uh, we're wearing that particular flag. Yeah, it's a, it's I really want to hear your thoughts. Probably not that good of an idea to wear that flag because people will make assumptions, even if you believe it means something else. 603 283 61 Six zero. It's Free Talk Live. More coming up. I've been told no in many different ways. I give you an order and you're going to obey it. Which you can go this way. You can do that and you have to leave here. You cannot bring signs into the rally. Walk with me. Well, I'm, I'm, no, I'm comfortable here, actually. Whoa, 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 Bureaucrats have a funny way of telling people no. That's the sound of the men working on the chain. Derek J's Victimless Crime Spree. You can order your copy of the Director's Cut DVD now at VictimlessCrimeSpree.com. Free Talk Live.
Facebook Live, Talk Radio That You Control, and 603-283-6160 is the phone number you can call. That's 603-283-6160. And with you in the studio tonight, you've got me, Bonnie. Jay. And Mark Edge. And the caller from the last second segment named Ricky, he wanted Mark specifically to give his feelings on why people think he's racist for wearing a Confederate flag that's slightly altered. Right. Um, <laughs> I mean, it's it's because the racists all carry that flag, um, you know, or at least what we've been taught are the racists that carry that flag. I think that there's lots and lots and lots of racists out there that want nothing to do with the uh, second Virginia battle flag or whatever you want to call the uh, Confederate flag. But and I also as a Southerner, I believe that that's a, a very attractive flag, but. I would by no means put it on a vehicle because... But it's attractive to you. Why? Like, it look looks pretty or it's attractive to you for some other reason? It looks pretty. I just think it's a good-looking flag. Oh, yeah. You know? It's just made of some all flags. the Eng- English flags, which is kind of weird. It's like you want to be all independent from England, independent from the North, but you make it out of the English flags or, or the UK flags. It kind of looks like the UK flag. Um, no, it's purposely the... made that way. It's it's, oh, it's it? made out of all their older flags mixed together. Okay. Um, so I just always thought that was a, a weird thing. It's kind of a pretty flag, you're right. But um, the other thing about it is I know that it doesn't all just mean, oh, I want black people to be slaves again. I think that it is a flag that a lot of people find um, like is important to them because, oh, I'm from the South and, you know, the North came here and burned my great, great, great grandpa's farm down and we deserve to have left if we wanted to. Okay, like that's all fine and dandy, but there are some things every once in a while I'll say that there are some things that you should probably just let go it because of the way that you're not going to win. You're not going to walk around with a Confederate flag, but, oh, it has this tiny white border on the outside, Bonnie. So (laughs) you think people are going to take it any other way? Flags are symbols. I mean, there's no other way to describe them. They are symbols. And symbology is a blunt force weapon. Um, It is not precise. If you want your beliefs precisely portrayed to people, you're going to have to write yourself a little manifesto or treatise or whatever it is that you want to call this this prose that you're going to put together. But a flag doesn't do that. And you can choose to fly a flag, but if you, you know, like you pick the flag, whatever it might be, if I, I, I happen to like the way the Albanian flag looks too. Now I'm not in any way, shape or form Albanian, <laughs> but if I flew that flag, if I had that a sticker on the back of my car, whatever, people are going to say, Oh, Hey, you're Albanian too. Maybe they'll greet me with some Albanian words, which I have no idea. Is that uh, a know, language? Bosnian Serbian? Uh, uh, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> and, you know, some kind of Slavic language uh, nonetheless. And, you know, they'd want to talk to me about Albanian. I'd be like, I don't like Albania. I just like the flag, you know, like that. I'm a kook at that point. And <laughs> I, I, I get, you know, like, I like Ricky. I think he's a, you know, he's a lovable little kook, but um, and he's not little by any stretch. He's a big man. Really? I've um, never met him. They, they, they've sent pictures and, you know, he's, he's a big man. And yeah, I mean, you know, I, I'm sorry. It, that's just the way it is. If you carry around a 
Confederate flag, then people are going to think that you support slavery and these sorts of things. We can have all the conversations you want about state right, states' rights and all this stuff, Jeffersonian this and that and the other thing. If you want to use it as a, as a conversation starter and you think that you can turn around those conversations, by all means. But at some point or another, it, like I wouldn't do it unless I was blind, I can tell you that, because at some point or another, somebody would punch me in the face over it. Hmm. They yeah. won't punch Ricky because he's blind. Oh, I see. I, I thought you meant unless you were blind and accidentally wore the wrong flag or something like that. I didn't know what you meant by that. But, no. Um, um, glad to, thanks for the chance to clarify. But um, when that, that's all I can say about it, basically. I just think it's a bad idea. You should have the right to do it. Somebody sure. shouldn't punch you in the face over a symbol you're wearing. They shouldn't, and that's wrong. They would be nope. in the wrong. But you can, you can go to town square and scream the N-word at the top of your lungs. Somebody nope. shouldn't Actually, punch can't. you in the face. Well, What's, I personally know a person. He's not like a good person. I don't like him. He lives in Keene and he just uh, is one of those people who's like, I, I'm a townie, but I like what you guys are doing just because he's weird. But um, anyways, he actually went into the downtown and yelled the N-word at someone down or out of his car and he's facing charges over it because it's like, it's some kind of law that says, oh, you were saying something that a reasonable person might start violence over. Isn't that kind of crazy? Like, I mean, well, you oh, shouldn't. Oh, so there's an anti-free speech law here? It, it is an anti-free speech like. law. It's a I, crazy. I, look, I don't support the idea, but, um, you know, as I understand it, freedom of speech would cover being insulting. Um, not being threatening, but it would be would cover being insulting. Now, um, you know, how do how do you address that? I mean, could, could somebody construe as, as threatening? I suppose they could, but people could construe just about anything as threatening. You know, if, if, if you're walking down the street as a seven foot man with a, you know, a, a wife beater T-shirt on, you might be considered threatening. I don't know. Um, that to me sounds like an unconstitutional law. Yeah. Um, like just the other day, I was at the mall with my sister and her boyfriend, who's like a giant. And. This guy was so weird. He's walking past us and he was like, how are you doing to him? And, and right before that, he had like done this, like shake his head up thing at me and I pretended not to see it. And then when he got closer, he said to my sister's boyfriend, how are you doing, man? Hey, hey, how are you doing, man? Like, cause he wouldn't look immediately. He's like, I, I don't know what he said, but I was just like, why would you start a fight with a giant? And he was like a foot taller than the guy who was trying to start a fight with him. Yeah, there's some weirdos out that there. That could have been construed as threatening, but sure. you shouldn't take it to someone like that over jail. But afterwards, we we're like, what was he doing? Like, that was weird. But <laughs> um, if Bizarre. anything, seems kind of more threatening than just saying a word that's uh, really offensive. Like, it's offensive and everything, but um, not, I don't know. It's not really like, oh, that's threatening to say that word. <gasps> So it looks like uh, one of our producers here threw in uh, in 1942, the U.S. Supreme Court established the doctrine by a nine to zero uh, decision in Chaplinsky versus New Hampshire. It held that insulting or fighting words, mm -hmm. those that by their very utterance inflict injury or tend to incite an immediate breach of the peace are among the well-defined and narrowly limited classes of speech, the pre uh, prevention and punishment of which have never been thought to raise any constitutional problem. So there you go. And that's what that's what happens when you take a radio talk show host's opinion on constitutional law. There you go. Yeah, I mean, the, it uh, sounds unconstitutional whether some Supreme Court person said it or not, but 
Mark, you, oh wait, you had some more to say about that? I just think that, uh, you know, I mean, freedom of speech ought to cover being, you know, terribly, terribly insulting. Like just in that, and, what you just read, sorry, um, it, it was like, oh, just by its utterance, it causes damage. Words don't cause damage unless it's like you're screaming at the top of your lungs and hurting someone's eardrums. Well, that's true. I mean, uh, you know, sound does literally strike the eardrums, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, the, the thing that I brought in to talk about today was this uh, bill that has passed the New Hampshire House. Now, to be clear, this is not a law. This is a bill that has passed the New Hampshire House. It has to get through the New Hampshire Senate, um, which has been described by one of the originators of the, uh, you know, one of the first free staters as a terrorist organization, (laughs) the New Hampshire House, the New Hampshire Senate. Senate. Yeah, they're bad. And then be signed by the New Hampshire governor, which at this time is Sununu. And I think it would have to be signed by Sununu. Um, It's called Defend the Guard. And I think this is fascinating. And I really want to applaud New Hampshire uh, for this. And and I'm the first to give New Hampshire trouble. Um, You know, I... I don't like it when activists call it the freest place in the world and a variety of other things that are that are said. But I think this is awesome. So um, I, I, there's no news story on this because who's going to write a news story? This is, you know, this is free talk lives territory. So here we are reporting on it. All I've got are some tweets, uh, basically. But um, this bill, I'll just read this. This bill would prohibit the deployment of all National Guardsmen from New Hampshire. Unless U.S. Congress fulfills its constitutional duty to declare war prior to pro- troop de- deployment, which means that your son or daughter who's in the New Hampshire Guard would not be deployed unless Congress did its job and declared war on someone, which they haven't done since 1942. But wait, wait, Mark, we've been at war my whole life, your whole life, Jay's whole life. How is it that they haven't declared war? Because they don't have to. They just declare um, emergencies. Hmm. Right. They just they just call them emergencies or whatever and send troops. What would I mean, be, what would you be could inter- fight the whole Vietnam War without a uh, declaration of war. What would be interesting uh, with this particular bill is, so the New Hampshire Guard, um, is that a, a federal thing or is that a... New Hampshire state thing. It's uh, cool. And um, and New Hampshire state is different than state of New Hampshire because state of New Hampshire is a franchise of the United States Corporation. There is a corporation that exists called New Hampshire, state of New Hampshire. That is a franchise of the United States Corporation. So um, this is where I think New Hampshire exit really needs to go with dissolving the corporation that was chartered under the United States. that calls itself state of New Hampshire. I believe it was, I don't know. The Massachusetts charter was like 1889 or something of the Massachusetts Corporation. But um, uh, so, yeah, who do these entities serve? Uh, New Hampshire State or the District of Columbia is a real answer. Well, um, I would say that the answer is both in this circumstance, that the New Hampshire Guard is um, what what replaced the militia that was uh, meted out in the Constitution and that the president can basically call up the guard with the governor of that particular place's approval. And of course the governor doesn't want to say no. And, um, and so these things just happen. I love the idea of this bill because to my knowledge, this would prohibit 
the the guard from being the New Hampshire guard from being called up without a declaration of war. And, you know, personally, if I was going to fight, I'd like the politicians in Washington, D.C. to take a firm enough stance. So, you know, hey, guys, can you get together and just vote on this once before you go and get have me catch a few bullets for you? Hmm. And I can tell you a little something about the National Guard. I have a, a handful of friends that did National Guard work. And, uh, like, um, they learned a lot of skills being in the National Guard. Uh, like, my one friend, um, she uh, was, was it probably still is in the National Guard, but as a truck driver. And so she learned, like, a lot of mechanical skills. She learned, you know, she can handle a driving a semi-truck. She un- understands, like... Uh, towing and recovery and like they do a lot of stuff like oh you're stuck in a pit well we'll go rescue you in new hampshire instead of like all going over to another country and bombing right right and and, and they do like a lot of things like uh there's some land uh, not far from my house that's uh essentially owned by the army corps of engineers and like when there's like um you know, when it like floods out and it washes the road away, it's basically like New Hampshire National Guard in there, you know, fixing that road. Also, like when there's like, you know, real catastrophes and emergencies, um, you know, that National Guard, you know, does a lot of that stuff. And they're sort of sort of like an emergency first responder, uh, you know, volunteer force. And a lot of those guardsmen, like they learn a lot of really good, valuable skills. And I can tell you is that I know a lot of people who have, you know, young people who have no interest in joining the National Guard because they're concerned they might have to be forced to go, like, to Iraq, like a bunch of my buddies did, you know, in the early 2000s in Afghanistan, and basically, you know, be support for, like, Halliburton and, Mm. um, you know, the the thing over, you know, all all that, uh, you know, false war stuff. Like, more people might join and be productive with it if they aren't at risk of going to... fight false wars yeah that makes sense so that's really all the news i have on it. i mean there's not much to say on this bill other than that's what it does i hope that it passes how much it passed by i think it was a relatively close margin Hmm. interesting well we do have a caller on the line we have david in new mexico david what's on your mind lots of stuff bonnie um i did want to uh, ask uh, Mark about fun stuff like sailboats and Jay about fun stuff like horses, but you guys have been talking about law, so I think I need to list off some of my, I'll just call, call them allegations. I'll just make some allegations of, of law and you can <clears throat> see if they're helpful or not. And the main one I want to get to uh, is Jay was talking about his, his, uh, his kids and that, that legal stuff back at the beginning of your program. But let me interject. Mark was talking about fighting words. Another thing that fighting words do is uh, if, if somebody uh, is assaulting you, uh, battering you, attacking you, fighting you, beating you, 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 you want to, even though it comes natural to tell them to blank off and stuff, you want to try to remain silent because any fighting words that you use, even if they attack you first, um, reduces uh, the likelihood that the other person will get any criminal charges, and it also reduces uh, your potential for getting monetary damages if the person you know for for the for the assault for you if you sue them for assault if you use fighting words against them even while they're attacking you it reduces uh, your your possibility of getting an award and i would think i would think under sort of the the new look at things the uh, the politically correct world in which we live that everything's a fighting word now right you know yeah you... but the, the court the, the court when i've when i've dealt with that 
Um, the courts generally are looking at, you know, if, if, if uh, I mean, the two, two dudes are in each other's proximity and one gives one a dirty look and somebody says something, the other guy just naturally says something back. You want to be the guy that avoids saying anything back so that you can preserve uh, uh, your right to sue for monetary damages should you choose to do so. Or if you want to see the guy end up in jail, uh, if you didn't, if you didn't uh, participate in any of the, the, the fighting words behavior, it improves the odds that the dude will actually get criminal charges. Just the other day, um, Lori and I were doing the show and somebody called in and said here in New Hampshire, some kid got kicked out of his school because off campus he called someone else a bozo. So we were like, what? We looked it up. I, I just looked up, is bozo offensive? And they do say that bozo is offensive against Eastern Europeans. I've never even heard that. Everything's offensive now. Yep. I, thought, I, I suppose I, I suppose in Texas, then, if you if you call someone a payaso, uh, that that's uh, offensive to them. Huh? Exactly, because we thought that um, bozo meant clown. That's what I always right. thought it meant. And payaso is clown in Spanish. I only know that because their um, lollipops called paleta payaso or something like that. Yeah, you know. And then um, um, another thing. Go ahead. Yeah. So um, I, I guess what I would ask on this is is that um, can't Somebody just say, I mean, you know, so so then I can go around beating people up and just claiming that they use fighting words with me. Is that right? Hmm. Um, Yeah, if but, you know, once again, the the judge or the jury will have to believe you. If you're telling a lie, you'll have to make your lie believable. They called me a bozo. (laughs) I had to get you go. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> another before I get to Jay's uh, children thing, the another uh, thing that occurred to me, I, I, nobody's ever explained to me. We had, we had a at the the founding of this country, we had a, a state militia system, uh, i.e. the Civil War, and somehow the militia system disappeared and was replaced by the guard system, which seems to have been a strategic move to uh, to by the federal government, by the powers that be, to uh, uh, get rid of the militia system, which hindered their ability to. Uh, kill people and make money off of it and stuff like that because the states had had more control. I'd like to see somebody research that because I don't I don't think it was even legal. Whatever law they passed to get rid of state militia system and replace it with the national guard system and the active duty military system. I don't think that that was that was uh, legal as per the highest law in the land. But I, I I haven't researched it and if somebody has, I'd like to hear about it. But what I wanted to get onto was uh, uh, Jay. You were talking about you laid out your the various things about your case. And and I want to, uh, like I said, I want to make a series of uh, quick allegations. Um, uh, one, um, I want the allegation number one is your case and my case are essentially the same thing, except that um, the the it's the state itself coming at you trying to traffic your children, whereas in my case it was a private party being my ex and the her new boyfriend uh, slash husband um, that were coming at me to try to use the state to traffic my children. And, and they succeeded by the way, as, as you probably know, uh, I said goodbye to my kids one day when they were in diapers, not knowing and never seen them again. And the younger of the two turns 18 on the eighth, which is in what, four days. And I've, I've never had any contact communication whatsoever with them uh, in, in that 15 year interim or whatever it was. And so the child and trafficking in, in that case. I was thinking about were, this the other night, David. I mean, you, you know, your story is uh, it's sad and I think about it. And now, you know, um, your kids are 18 years old. Can you not contact them? Is there no way for you to do that? I, I mean, you know, social media. Yeah, legal, legally, 
to answer your question, yeah, legally I could do it. But here's what happens. When kids have been brainwashed for 15 years, you have no idea what they've been told. They, they could have been told that I raped them both on a daily basis uh, for, you know, for a, a year or two and, that, and, and so on and so forth and stuff like that. They, they could be told and you don't know what they've been told. And even if they haven't been told anything um, egregious like that, they, children, the nature of children, as I have, one, I experienced it on my own. Uh, it's not just with my children. This happened, this happened to me with the issues between my mom and my, my dad. And uh, children tend to, uh, you know, out of sight, out of mind. If the, if, the, if the dad, like my dad, was not there, it's kind of like uh, you don't know anything about it. It doesn't register because it's never, never been there. It doesn't, you know, and so if you just call them out of the blue one day, um, you're as likely to get a hostile reaction as to, to get a pleasant reaction. And it's kind of, so it's kind of unsafe for the rest of uh, the, 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 your life as far as any possible relationship with your own children, grandchildren. If, if it's not done in, uh, you know, let's just say a, a very safe uh, way to do it, if a reunification is not done in a very safe manner, you can end up completely poisoning any chance of anything for the rest of your life. So that's my response to that that question. Well, I'll just Mark. tell you this. Um, I'm adopted. I think, you know, maybe listeners know. Some listeners know. I'm adopted. And it was 1971 that I was adopted um, at, you know, four days old or something like that. And the I recently did manage to find my mother through 23andMe. And... I have some kind of contact information for my father. My mother came, you know, drove from uh, the Midwest out to New Hampshire to meet with me and, you know, see my house and, you know, just, uh, you know, have dinner and stayed there and, you know, did all that. And it was wonderful. And uh, I really was excited about it. My dad, on the other hand, has been unwilling, or I should say my father has been unwilling to meet with me at all. So I guess you're right. Like it could go any old way. But it could go well, too. Yeah, I, I wonder the same thing. If you want to stay on, David, uh, please hold. Free Talk Live is continuing. More is coming up. 603-283-6160. It's Free Talk Live. Talk live, talk radio that you control, and 603-283-6160 is the phone number. That's 603-283-6160. And with you in the studio tonight, you've got me, Bonnie. Jay. And Mark Edge. And Mark, did you have anything you wanted to say about the Bitcoin thing? It's a podcast, so I couldn't pull it up. The Bitcoin thing. Oh, I thought you said it was about Bitcoin crimes. I thought it was about Ian. Sorry. Maybe I should have discussed this with you off the air, but I thought that I asked you, was that your show prep? And you said, yeah. Oh, I see. The, the there is a podcast, right? Um, that is currently, you know, it's it's one of these uh, true crime 
podcasts, and <laughs> they've they've gone through all the good old crimes, so <laughs> they need the new ones. And uh, they came after you know uh, Free Talk Live, Ian, and all that, and wow. uh, did did one. Um, and um, you know, well, let's see. I haven't listened to it, but a friend of mine has, and I will read what he said regarding it because. Did he say the title? Because I'm really interested to listen now. Yeah, give me just one second here. It's uh, The Church of the Invisible Hand. It says here in the description, listen to this episode from Crime 3 on Spotify. Keen, a small, picturesque New Hampshire community. But behind the New England charm, the Pictures. town was home to a financial scheme that would split out, spill, excuse me, spill out into the world to the tune of tens of millions of dollars. And, uh, you know, it says, uh, let's see, they say um, Ian's the star of the podcast, considering this production. I think, um, let's see, that, that I, sh- I, Mark Edging, Mark Edge, should be uh, happy that I was not mentioned. <laughs> I was mentioned one time to say that I was the co host of Free Talk Live. Yeah. Let's see. They call so, it a podcast. It is a podcast, but it's also a nationally syndicated radio show, first yeah. and foremost. And uh, then the the commenter here says, I don't think any of the principals, um, that's you guys, would be thrilled with the coverage. But considering that they what they could have done, uh, at least they didn't make him, Ian, out to be a super evil person. Um, I would describe their description as a self-serving activist. Hmm. So interesting. Well, uh, so what was the name of the podcast again? They titled it The Invisible Hand. It's the Church of the Invisible Hand. I mean, do we really want to send a whole bunch of people to listen to this? Hmm. Well, I don't know. I thought that it could have some interesting information, but it... These are just people reading news reports, you know? Mm. I mean, well, you know, I'm may- hoping to get clicks off of it. Maybe uh. there's some podcasters that could make a response to it that could, uh, like uh, Chris Wade, for example, he, like, explains, you know, the situation really, really well. You know, he's, you know, paid attention to it, you know, the, you know, uh, talking about how like Ian would refuse to sell Bitcoin to scammers. He would find out the scammers and Ian didn't actually scam anybody. They bought, they paid for Bitcoin and he gave them Bitcoin. They convinced him with all of their might. And um, I mean, I already said it to the judge. I, I was witness to this at least one time where there was somebody saying like, yes, I really do want to buy Bitcoin. Yes, it is my husband. I know him. You shouldn't even be asking me that. Like, I'm offended. And nope, they were lying. Yeah, that sounds like a classic agent provocateur right from the beginning. Right, but, and know, I always think s- these people are just feds yeah, and they don't deserve do any it. restitution. But, um, well, here's what I would say if you ever get uh, bad press um, is punch up. So to me, I don't know who crime three is the, it doesn't draw up in my mind a, um, you know, like a big organization and I'm not going to chase down every negative commenter on the internet who Mm. has something to say about, you know, that's inaccurate about Ian. Um, so what I would say is, is that these are, you know, little people doing a little podcast and uh, they can let us know when they enter the premier podcast uh, level and, and we'll chit chat with them. Well, that's interesting. Um, I think it's kind of funny. They're trying to rope it in with the same stuff as like, oh, Gypsy Rose convincing her boyfriend to kill, kill his mom. Like, oh, and Ian selling Bitcoin and the government twisted it to make it look really bad. But Jay, you did have something you wanted to bring up. Yes. Uh, so this February, um, 11th to 16th, we have uh, Anarchapulco 
the reborn freedom is rising so this is going to be taking place at the secret garden in acapulco um, mexico uh, there will be a whole host of speakers, including myself. I am going to be talking about uh, investing in our posterity and how not to screw up your kids uh, <laughs> and giving examples on solutions to, uh, you know, helping to, to, to uh, incentivizing your children to or, or posterity in general to earn their dopamine hits and not just get free ones and set themselves up for years of addiction by letting them just, you know, mentally masturbate with Internet devices. Anyways, uh, so it's a it's a good it's it's a wonderful event. It'll be my first time attending. Uh, Mark has been there before. Uh, it's the Secret Garden um, is like looking good. I, I watched a video uh, the other day, but uh, a couple days ago about the Secret Garden and uh, what's going it's on. The there. location and it's yeah. like an outdoor speaking engagement yeah. park place. Yeah, it's it yeah it's it's a beautiful venue. Uh, there's going to be like guys like Max Egan. Um, you know, uh, I, I can't remember. I should make a list of all these people. There's like 80 presenters, you know, th- that are happening at this. There's all kinds of workshops. If you go to anarchapoco.com, there is all kinds of workshops you can sign up for. And they're adding workshops currently. They have a few workshops listed uh, for like all kinds of things. There's going to be like uh, you can do ayahuasca ceremonies and other kind of like ceremonies. There's Whoa. like all kinds of stuff you can do. And uh, if and if you are going to buy tickets, if you are going to buy a workshop, please use uh, coupon code J, that's J-A-Y, and you'll receive a 10% discount. And that's uh, anarchopoco.com. I will be down there. My wife will be down there. And my my son and my daughter will also be down there. So you'll be able to um, you know meet all of us. And we're going to also uh, be there for the week after for Agroforco, which is essentially like Anarchopoco's, um, you know, uh, version Fork of Fest. ForkFest. Well, I, the, the the speaker list is long. I could begin. Jay Noon is on it. I could begin to uh, go through um, all of it, but just suffice to say that there's some very big names on here. David Ike jumps out, um, wow. as does Vit Yedlika. Um, Wait, is David Ike going to be there physically or just like on Zoom or something? Oh, you good catch. Uh, it's actually a virtual presentation. Larkin mm-hmm. Rose will be there. Jeff Berwick will be there. Um, you can just go to anarchapolco.com. It's, uh, it is a great event. Um, I enjoyed it thoroughly. Plus, if you happen to be in the uh, part of the United States where it snows, it's in February. <laughs> yeah, and then you're in Mexico. <laughs> Well, David from New Mexico is still on the line, and he did have more he wanted to say about. Um, David, I forgot what it was. Could you tell me about, about the? I got. I'll rattle off a series of uh, of legal allegations or observations and allegations regarding uh, what I heard in Jay's narrative at the beginning of your program. But first of all, that uh, Anarchapoco, that must be the smaller version of uh, Anarchapoco. Well, uh, Anarch- I call it Agroforco. I think. I got no, no, no. The, 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 Anarchapo, the Anarchapoco, that must be the smaller version of the Anarchapoco. Oh, because Poco. Oh, I said it a little wrong. Yeah. Because <laughs> Poco well, means I small. Want, yeah, I'm just, I'm, just messing, I'm just messing with you for, for fun. And before I, before I hit the right log. Either. I can't even say before, Chipotle, right? I always say Chipotle. 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 Oh, and before on the, the hit the law stuff, I wanted to ask Mark, uh, it occurred to me what, what so what uh, what what state were you actually born in? Where where did you start out? Um, I was born in Sarasota, Florida. Oh, the state oh, of I'm confusion. Sorry, you, pardon? 
Sarasota, Florida. Yeah. No. <laughs> I, yeah. I made a. I made a. And uh, what do you call it? And and assumption. Your when you said your biological mother had come from the Midwest, I just uh, made the assumption that you had started out in the Midwest. What 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 state? What is the Midwest to you? Um, I don't want to give too much information about those folks, um, but yeah. it was you know c- call it the Eastern Midwest. <laughs> got, yeah, got it. Because New some Mexico's people call the Midwest. Midwest, right, David? Pardon? You don't think that New Mexico what? is the Midwest, do you? No, but people call people call Minnesota the Midwest, and then other people in Iowa or in Ohio, uh, they don't think of Minnesota as the Midwest because hmm. they think they're in the Midwest. So I was just wondering what I the market them find both. is. Yeah. Well, um, um, so, I generally so, consider the Midwest to be the, so I would have considered Minnesota to be the Midwest. I would have co- considered it any states that are directly touching the Mississippi River and then the ones that are east of the sort of 13 colonies. Well, is like what Tennessee I would, isn't, but I, I think that Missouri is the Midwest. My dad's from St. Louis and he calls himself like a Midwesterner, but a lot of people are confused by that. But I, if you go there, it's not really like a Southern state. It's more like a Midwestern state. I think right. you can also yeah, kind of tell country. by their accents. Um, you know, they they either speak yep. Midland or that that kind of Canadian American sound that they make in uh, like Wisconsin. Wisconsin, yeah. Well, especially Missouri. If you're in northern Missouri, it's Missouri. If you're in southern Missouri, it's Missouri. Missouri, yeah. Missouri, yeah. So back to back to the law. So so Jay. Um, let me rattle off a couple things that, that I that I noticed. Some of these might be helpful to you. And and first of all, let me double down on the fact that that uh, you know, unfortunately, I mean, nothing can be done about it. But it's bittersweet to me that that uh, you know, it's it's sweet that uh, people are taking interest in in your case. And it's bitter that you know, I was not a sympathetic character because uh, I could have uh, used a little bit of the the uh, the help that that maybe you're getting. And then moving forward, uh, allegation number two. Is I've no I within a year of being draw, caught you know caught up in the family court crap that trafficked my children. It occurred to me that basically every single case in the family and children's courts regarding the trafficking of children, like what's happening to you, uh, what they're trying to do to your children, Jay. They're they're really essentially they're all the same cases. It's just the basket of ingredients in the in the form of uh, the, the the players. The, the the money the evidence the facts et cetera et cetera they're all just ar- arranged in a different order it's the same ingredients just arranged in a slightly different different order and so I see when when I hear you lay out what's happening in your case I see the the parallels to what happened uh, to my case like when you know one difference is the the people coming at you is the state itself whereas the people coming at me were private parties using the power of the state. Uh, against me and and moving forward what you specific you specifically um noted that um so uh the you were attacked by the state when your wife went into a store and left the child uh unattended in a vehicle and the state comes along and says you've committed a crime so we're writing you up on this on this crime now here's what might be might be helpful and you probably you may have already considered it but to me, if you have a, you know, a, a, uh, a, a together person like your wife and a clean child and healthy child and a nice vehicle, and the crime is we've made a law and you can't leave your child unattended while you go in the store, so that's the crime we're writing you up on. To me, it is a legal leap, an unreasonable leap, um, as in unreasonable search and seizure. So now we're into your Fourth Amendment uh, rights and it's unreasonable leap 
to go from, okay, you, you, we allege you committed this crime, but now we got to come and search your house and we got to come and search your, your children's mind and, their, and search your children's body when there was no evidence present at the crime scene, the alleged crime scene. There was no dirty child. There was no uh, emotional child. There was no damaged child in any way, shape, or form. The, the vehicle was as it should be. The mother was as she should be. The, it, was a, it was just the simple thing of the child was left attended. So to me, it's an unreasonable Fourth Amendment violation to then attempt to search uh, all of these other things that they wanted to search. And then when they don't yield to your assertion of your Fourth Amendment rights, then what it is, now it becomes a, a civil rights lawsuit to me, a, what is it, a USC 18242 civil rights violation, because they don't have, you know, let's put it in, in cop talk, they don't have reasonable, articulable suspicion for anything beyond the child was left undetended, yet they want to come and do a Fourth Amendment uh, violating search. And, and also, they, uh, you want to go to the next level um, beyond reasonable, articul- articulable suspicion. They, they didn't have that, so they certainly don't have probable cause to then continue with a, uh, a Fourth Amendment-protected uh, search. And when they uh, insist on doing th- those Fourth Amendment violations anyway, that's where they violate your civil rights uh, in the form of, um, uh, well, it's a Fourth Amendment violation and um, when when you get static, when they when they start writing you up for contempt and do this and that and the other thing, the things that are not supported by the facts, that is retaliation. And retaliation by a government body is uh, de facto. Uh, uh, de facto. That's not the word I'm looking for. The phrase I'm looking for. Um, I'll give it to you in a minute. But it, it's a it's an actual. Literally. Yeah, literally a civil rights violation. If they retaliate against you in any way for when you assert your rights, you can't search my child, my home, my nothing. Um, I uh, invoke my Fourth Amendment rights. Well, we're doing it anyway, and we're going to hit you with this contempt. That's uh, a retaliation. That's a civil rights uh, uh, on its face. It's on its face a civil rights violation, which then gives you legal standing to go into a federal court and file, I think it's a USC 18242 civil rights violation for for, uh, court orders stopping them and for monetary damages for your suffering. And that's what I wanted to to lay out. Well, so uh, you're you're exactly right. Uh, And uh, here's one thing. There is no law, there is no statute or rule or ordinance in New Hampshire that states it's illegal to uh, leave your kid in a car. And the thing is, is when I, everybody that I talk to about this is like, my dad left me in a car. My mom left me in a car. Me too. Uh, you know, um, and, you know, and so it's, it may be, it, it is sort of culturally in, in, inappropriate to leave your kid in a car. And I could tell you, I was, uh, you know, uh, personally, I was, I, I was not happy that my, you know, wife left, uh, you know, my daughter in the car. Uh, you know, and she was like, you know, in a safe place. And also, you know, when it comes to Fourth Amendment, your car is considered an extension of your home. You can refuse a search of your car. Uh, and it has been ruled time and time again that it is your car is your, it can, you know, be deemed as an extension of your house for Fourth Amendment purposes. And, uh, and, and the big problem with, you know, I wasn't concerned in this particular parking lot, which is like not in the middle of a big city. In fact, it is across a massive river uh, and, and uh, this tj maxx where this is in concert is across this big river um merrimack river i believe it's called and 
Uh, the city's on the other side uh, of the river, and basically it is a TJ Maxx, a hardware store, and a Little Caesars pizza, you know, in in this building uh, on an old cornfield is uh, essentially what it is. Now, this was a 100% a retaliation effort, uh, the charge against my wife, because uh, the... Henniker chief of police who I had a uh, nice meeting with today um, and we figured figured out a lot of things because I am uh, uh, in about two weeks I have another meeting with uh, the legislative committee that's going to investigate DCYF it's called an organization meeting in fact I have uh, a few or- organization meetings uh, scheduled to attend to to sort of organize you know how I'm go- how we're going to present this and give the committee members this information so you know they're not just bombarded on the day they have the actual investigative committee. These guys are sort of up to date, up to date on what's going on, and they can do a little investigation on their own. Uh, but yes, it was de- what had happened is the very same day, April twenty seventh, twenty twenty two, that the Henniker Police Department did a motion to intervene uh, in this uh, in in family court. Is the same exact day that a um, uh, that a you, that the um, uh, that the Concord Police Department filed a warrant for my wife's arrest. And I believe, well, you know, what happened here, and I actually have some public records requests I'm waiting on from the uh, Concord Police. Uh, and, you know, these guys, I, I read these communication logs, and we have literally a DCYF social worker talking with the Concord Police about the warrant for my wife's arrest, and they got a warrant for my wife's arrest now, and then the social workers are having email communications with my local with the local chief of police and the social worker says nothing about the local chief of police about these uh this warrant and this is like all stuff I just went through with him this morning and the the Concord cops like oh well you need to tell Shallon that she has to you know turn herself in or she will be arrested uh when we find her and then the social worker is emailing the chief of police, hey, we need to, like, you know, fulfill this order and this, that, and the other thing. So the whole tone of, like, the communications between the social workers, the Concord Police Department, and Henniker Police Department, according to all of the emails, the documents that I've gotten out of a right-to-know request, uh, basically a Freedom of Information Act request, and then discovery requests uh, from a, 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 an actual court case, and then another one that is called a, a finding uh, so we've got two different like sort of court actions happening at the same time. And we've got discovery crests from both of them. Well, we've been studying all of these discovery, like the discovery package, like 250 pages for, for, for one of them and 230 pages for the other one. So, so we've been put, putting a lot of time into going over this and then comparing it to a right to no request where we've gotten, you know, 70 or 80 pages in one and, you know, 50 or 60 pages in another. So we've got these, all these things from all these different agencies and we're putting them all together and we're finding some stuff. So basically <clears throat> what the Henniker police did on April 27th is a verified expedited motion to correct the record and change court order based on prior material mes- misrepresentation. And so I am, you know, essentially preparing for, you know, the lawsuit against these people. I am preparing to have a committee investigate them and uh these uh, actors uh, that work for DCYF Every single one at case that they have ever been involved in has to be reviewed because we know of at least three and maybe even four cases. I haven't looked at the paperwork in a fourth case, but there's definitely three cases here where they've done the same exact thing that they did to me. Um, 
and uh, and me and my wife with respect to doing a contempt order against us when we were not contemptors. We were not listed as contemptors. And and these and these guys have been shut down um, for this previously and before, and they continue to do the same things. So maybe well, Jay, once they made a mistake. Can't only a judge give contempt? Well, yes. What they do is the, the 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 social worker and this attorney Ross McLeod. They actually file. Con, they submit a contempt order asking the judge to do the contempt. So, they, so 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 asking a judge to allow this contempt order. And what they're doing is they're falsely presenting contempt orders. So I believe that every single contempt order that is issued by family court that is submitted by this attorney, Ross McLeod, and all the other scumbag attorneys that work for DCYF, because they're pretty much all scumbags, best I can tell, um, are false. And these guys are knowingly and willingly engaging in these false, malicious, essentially, prosecutions against people with these contempt orders because... The order to intervene and inspect the premises is not for the parent. There is nothing in there that says the parent is ordered to do anything, and then they file a contempt order, and then the judge is complicit in this. The family court judge, Aaron McIntyre, is the name of that judge, Hillsborough District Court, who allows these documents and probably doesn't even read them, just rubber stamps them, um, is, is complicit too because that judge should know darn well whether she... who. Who is in contempt and if there's a contemptor? So there's actually no contemptor in these cases, and this happens again and again and again. So we're going to be asking that, that every that's single. Called, Go ahead. That that that's when you say false. Number one, legal term, fraud upon the court. Yes. That's a fraud upon the court. Also, they're involved in conspiracy to commit. Yes. This, that, and the other thing. Also, when the judge uh, signs off inappropriately, that's called abuse of discretion. Legal term. Yes. So, so we are, I, I am, we are actually preparing, uh, some, some more affidavits and notices to, you know, that will be hundreds of people will, uh, be actually, it's another thing people should be doing. It's, it's not updated right now, but go to my website, jnoon.com. That's J A Y at J A Y. I'm sorry. That's J A Y N O O N E.com. And if you know somebody who's had their rights violated by DCYF, who's been harassed by DCYF, who's had their time taken, had their children taken from them, email me, j at jnoon.com. But if you go to my website, uh, at the top of my website, it says in, uh, there's a little button you can click on, uh, affidavit to investigate DCYF, is I believe what it says. That's going to be updated either tonight or tomorrow to a, a new notice um, that will that is going to be presented to the judge to Essentially, you know, the court has to be in common law and demanding a trial by judgment of peers instead of this statutory jury trial. So, uh, yeah, go to jnoon.com and check that out. We can Thank you so support. much for the call, David from New Mexico. And the other people, uh, like three people tried to call in right at the end when we're in the middle of, a, you know, another call. Next time, try to call in a little earlier because the show's over for today. But you can go to freetalklive.com to hear more from us. Peace. This is Mark Edge with Free Talk Live. Mark Warden with PorcupineRealEstate.com is one of the best real estate agents I've ever worked with. I've been through about two dozen real estate transactions in my life, and I feel like I know what I'm doing, but there's always the things that you don't know that you don't know. Mark Warden with PorcupineRealEstate.com 
found a problem with the house that I was buying that ultimately saved me $65,000. He's a consummate professional, holds his people to his own high standards, and I would unequivocally recommend him for any real estate purchase in New Hampshire. Don't sell yourself short. Contact PorcupineRealEstate.com.